Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. But it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls. And it was like, you don't have to give us a ride. You can't fill us, though. He can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. The thoughts were all alone in this empty void. Rob's had a bad day at work. <laughs> we'll start with that tonight. <laughs> it was not a bad day, just an incredibly busy day. Been a lot of those lately, though. I know it's it's heating up, man. You're getting into that uh, festival season. Oh God, I know. Are you already are you already uh, dreading it? Well, yeah, it's only about a month and a half away now. Oh yeah, they they announced the um, lineup for Bonnaroo. Yeah, you heard of any of those bands? I mean, I've heard of Eminem. <laughs> like, like two headliners I've heard of, and then like sixty bands. I'm like, okay. who else is 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 on the list? I don't even remember. Oh, I'll have to look. Means it up. you're getting old. I know. <laughs> I don't recognize any of these bands. Back in my day, I don't even know what a Pet Shop Boy or a Thompson Twin is. <laughs> Known by them M&M's. <laughs> Sir Fiel's wearing his uh, Alistair Crowley t-shirt. Megatherion. Yeah, I was, did you wear that to work today? No, no. You should have worn that on your construction job. Yeah. You're uh, like, what the hell is that, man? It, it'd probably be all right. Probably. <laughs> it wasn't for the giant pentagram on the book. I think you'd be okay. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, right. it's turned the right side, though. It's turned up. So you just have to, you just have to keep constantly explaining that to people. That's the only bad thing about that. So, we've got Mike Clellan coming on tonight uh, for the second time. And we're going to talk about his books. Yeah. We're going to talk about some more owls. 
Um, I sent you guys co- uh, the copies of it. Do you guys have any chance to read any yeah. of that? Yeah, I, re- I read the foreword, and then I kind of um, skimmed through and read some random chapters and stories. And it's, it's cool stuff. I mean, it's um, I feel like it was similar format to the first book. Yeah, but it's um, uh, it was different research this time, right? It was well, the first book. It's it's every pretty much everything that he drew on all these stories to produce the first book. Uh, gotcha. So there's a lot more detail in this on the people's individual stories. And like the first book was like something like 400 something pages. And I mean, I highly recommend it it's called them just the messengers. And this is stories from the messengers. And this one in and of itself is like 250 something pages. And I've gotten through just about most of it. What did you read yeah. any of it? Yeah. I put a pretty good dent in it. Okay, good. Good. Excellent. There were some, uh, Pretty strange, kind of on the on the high strangeness end of uh, encounters and experiences for people um, that all dealt with some kind of owl in it. So it was pretty weird. Yeah, I think this will be a good follow up to last week too. We had Lauren Coleman on talking about the synchro mysticism and all that. Got some good response to that to that interview. So cool. Uh, rather eventful weekend. Starting on Friday the thirteenth. Uh oh, it's <laughs> a barrel bomb full that's of that's sarin very, gas. Very low flying aircraft. Uh, I know. It's bunker a, busters. It's, it's a Syrian attack plane. Uh, well, if you've been living under a rock, you know that we bombed Syria. Uh, Rob, did you know this? Because I know you're not keeping track of the news lately. <laughs> I honestly didn't. Really? What? No. Are you serious? <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, we bombed Syria. There was like much. this whole week of buildup to it too, of Trump saying they're gonna. I'm sending in the missiles. They're gonna be fast and smart. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. yeah. So there was like a what? UN Security Council meeting <laughs> where, well, there's supposedly some some kind of chemical attack. I forgot the details. Right. This was on April 7th, I believe. It was on a Saturday. And there was a chemical attack in this uh, suburb of Damascus called Doma. And the Syrian government, Bashar al-Assad's government, was the one that was accused of doing this. Now, whether... They actually did it or not, that's a little bit of a gray area. Nobody really knows. There's some people that are saying that it was the people on the ground, the rebels that actually did it. And others, some other people are saying that it was the government that did it. Uh, last Saturday on the 14th, uh, on the 14th, there was supposed to be an inspection team that was supposed to go in there and determine However, on the early morning of the 14th, there was the, the uh, Trump had already shot the missiles into Syria, making sure that the Russians knew in advance what was going to happen. Yeah, it was all protocol to get to, to get at the hell out of the way so that we didn't kill any Russians. Despite the, this really bizarre statement by the former CIA director Mike Pompeo, who's now. Uh, the nominee to be the new Secretary of State that we've already killed 200 Russians 
did you any of you guys catch that? No. Yeah. Yeah, he made this statement that we've already killed 200 Russians in Syria with our bombings, wow. I guess against ISIS. So I don't know what to make of, make of that. But anyway. Yeah, I just, I can't even, I, I didn't even want to take the time to, to try to suss out what I thought actually happened. I mean, you just got so many actors, overt and covert, in this one place. It's, I, I don't right. know how, how I could sufficiently come to a conclusion with the, information i have access to i mean it's just well there was there was somebody that was saying that the way now obviously they weren't there on the ground but they could see some of the pictures of the gas and it looked like the way that the the, the canister was placed the way that it lay on the ground it didn't look like it was dropped from a height which it would have been dropped if it had been dropped from an airplane obviously that's what it would have been uh they said that it looked like that it was actually set off from the ground and I believe this was like sarin or chlorine gas, one of the two. And this is this has happened several times. Yeah. And at least two times where the United States has said we're either going to shoot up, we're either going to, because once in 2013, Obama said this was a red line and he didn't do anything about it, primarily because the British pulled out. And then last year in 2017, when Trump sent some missiles over there before. And now pretty much almost a year to the day, he sent some more missiles over there. And of course, there's all this speculation, you know, Trump's in a whole, you know, got a whole bunch of heap of shit on him here yeah. in the in the United States domestically. Is this a little bit of the wag the dog scenario going on because he got Stormy Daniels and <laughs> Stormy Daniels and James Comey, you know, lion James Comey. Uh, which I slippery. watched the Comey interview today. By the Lion way. and Slippery. Lion and Slippery, James <laughs> Comey. And so, yeah, there's all kinds of uh, all kinds of weirdness going on. And, and this, and what's funny is, is Trump had at the very beginning of the month he had actually said that we're pulling out of Syria, whatever troops we have over there, because he felt that. Uh, the battle against ISIS was pretty much won there, that he's going to pull out. And then this chemical attack happens, and then they kind of reverse course. And then more bizarreness, I think, yesterday and today, where the Nikki Haley, the UN ambassador, said that we were going to have these new sanctions against Russia because of their involvement in Syria and their support of Assad. And then Trump said, no, no, we're not actually doing that. So just what the hell is going on? I've heard some speculation in the community of, uh, you know, conspiracy theory and stuff that, uh, you know, some people are speculating that maybe Trump has kind of been flipped on the Russian stuff because he's been so compromised that the neocons and the people who were, would have been with the, the, the Clinton uh, would have been with, with Hillary's foreign policy and stuff of yeah. kind of like, he's so compromised now that he has to go along with the initial plan to heat up things with Russia. But Russia loves it too. I mean, this they're, uh, they've got big arm stuff going on and, you know, it's like we both need each other to be this boogeyman again and it's all the contracts and money for our respective military industrial complexes. I mean... Everybody wins. Yeah. 
it just seems like a well, game. Yo, know, John Bolton uh, has been pretty much everybody's been lo- looking at John Bolton, who was the former Bush's uh, Secretary of the United Nations, who's a big neoconservative. And a lot of people were saying that once he gets in as National Security Advisor, which he started literally the next day after this supposed chemical attack, that this happened. Uh, and there has also been the there's also been these uh, a British um, I think he's a special forces guy or some kind of or, or somebody in the British military that they were interviewing him I think on Sky News which is kind of like Britain's version of Fox they were interviewing him and they cut him off as soon as he was saying that there's no way this could have been the the government the Bashar al-Assad government that did this. And like so. I said, I, there's no way. I mean, it's just, it's such a tragedy. I mean, you have this one place and just everyone's trying to get a piece of this. And it's, I mean, it, it's such a tragedy. I mean, think about how many nations are in there, how many, you know, like I said, overt and covert stuff is going on, how many hidden agendas. I mean, it's like, it's insane. I know. All in one country. Yeah, and Syria is kind of like I've said it before that it's a black hole that yeah. is sucking everybody in. Yeah. I mean, us, the Russians, the Turks, the Iranians, um, China even has been kind of sucked into this into Syria. And it's a very similar very similar to the beginning of World War One where you had the Balkans. And what was going on there and kind of like this, the chaos that was happening in the Balkans. And that's how the First World War started because it was just a string of alliances and that everybody went to war over that. And so it's, you know, just that it hasn't caused a general kind of wider conflict as long as it has been going on is kind of amazing to me. Well, yeah, I mean, for so all I the think tough it will talk, just keep going. Yeah, for all the yeah. tough talk, I mean, look how this was coordinated. I mean, it, there's obviously a lot of coordination between us, us and the Russians, no matter how hot it seems between us on the surface. And you know, yeah, yeah, everyone's just going to get a piece. And of course, yeah. there's that there's that uh, line of thought that uh, Trump is just in collusion with the Russians. So it's just okay. We'll let you send some missiles in there so you look good over here, right. and. But this all started with during the Obama administration too. This right. this kind of big scale cooperation, right? Uh, plus, Art Bell died. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace. That I did hear. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That really messed me up, man. Which honestly, there would be no conspiranormal or any other of these types of podcasts without Art Bell, because yeah. he was a real pioneer real pathfinder of this kind of uh material and i'll have something to play in the in the outro uh but just any you know, thoughts about that sir phil because you're man you had, you had you did your own little art bill tribute yeah and, and uh, end, i was already you know i was already in all kinds of this you know had my little time life books and stuff when I was a kid and little, you know, mystical desert kid already into UFOs and mystical everything else. Kid, just like downward, right? <laughs> being, being raised by coyotes. No, no, but, but, uh, 
after I moved to Nashville, um, like a year later in seventh grade, I discovered Art Bell. I think this is probably like 90, 96 or seven. And, uh, I, I remember some of the first episodes of like the Richard C. Hoagland stuff and the face <laughs> on Mars stuff oh, and yeah. Sidonia and all that, you know, and I was just, I was hooked and I'd stay up, you know, try to stay up as late as I could, you know, with the, with the radio underneath the blankets and, you know, and it, uh, he had a profound effect on me and then just growing up, uh, you know, kept listening to him and just, you know, he exposed me to so many different ideas and I go try to find the books and from the Holy blood, Holy grail stuff to, to whatever, just, you know, the whole gamut. It was, he was really influential on me. Yeah. I mean, he's really influential on me too. Um, I remember listening to him, uh, just driving around or at night, you know, you, turn on art bell oh, and yeah. hear, hear the freak show you know <laughs> that's that was what i kinda... remember most is like being younger and laying in bed like with my little am fm yeah. radio yeah. thing, listening to him yeah i mean it was all it was always good to listen to i mean you know there's nothing really on at that time of night and that's 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 what you listen to you know back in the day you, when you didn't have all this all this different stuff i really started listening to coast to coast a lot more uh after nori had taken over and but Art Bell would still do the occasional show, and he'd come on and do like the Ghost to Ghost. Mm-hmm. So I listened. Y'all had the subscription to Coast to Coast for a long time, and listened to the Ghost to Ghost shows or some of the some some of the older shows like that. So and Malachi Martin stuff was really cool. Yeah, yeah, and he was yeah the first to really bring Malachi Martin on the air, and like guys like Whitley Strieber and. John Teeter. Uh, yeah, the John Teeter stuff. Yeah, came uh, through Art Bell. The infamous Area 51 call. That's yeah. like got to be one of the best moments in radio history. I, that was so awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to we need to play that uh, like at the end of the show cuz uh, this is a little as a little tribute and we'll kind of discuss it too. Um, you know, he he also did like weird things like he would retire and say like this is my last show on the air and then like a few weeks later he'd be back. I mean, he did that <laughs> shit like maybe six or seven times through like the course of his career. And he finally left coast to coast, I think in like, was it 2012 or something like that? And I don't he, remember. I don't know why exactly. It seemed like there was some kind of, he didn't think it was fair, whatever happened. Yeah. And um, one of the networks that we're on, Dark Matter Network, yeah. was actually made for Art Bell. Because they were going to do midnight in the desert, I just I just heard a squirrel, and um, Rob's Rob's got a squirrel problem in the in the studio. They like Art Bell, yeah. But it, midnight in the desert was for him. That was his yeah. show, and he did it for like a few months, and then he left. He had problems with Sirius. He said, "I don't know yeah. what it was exactly, but when midnight in the desert came back or came on." Like me and my buddy who, you know, grew up listening to it, we we stayed up and uh we had like the apps and uh I had more sh- my shortwave because it was also broadcast on shortwave when Midnight in the Desert came back on and man when it when that intro came in and everything, it was like our bell was back, you know, it was like, Oh man. Did they you play know? the chase? The yeah, George yeah, Over Runner? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, 'cause they that they still have that for coast to coast. Yeah, it was a uh, you know, it was it was a 
you know, I was so happy. I thought he was going to be back for good and, you know, be a part of my life again. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And he liked Filipino women. Oh yeah. Apparently. So he actually lived in the Philippines for a while. Yeah. He had problems with, uh, they had some immigration problems. So he said, screw it and just lived there for a while. Rob, any insights on that? Your Art Bell memories? Um, <laughs> no, because I was always kind of like a real occasional listener. I mean, I would listen to it because, you know, it would be late at night and I, I shouldn't be awake and, and I would be and that's what I would find on the radio <laughs> kind of thing. And yeah. it, sometimes I get sucked into it, but I it was never, um, I was never really like a, a regular a repeat listener. Um, that's not to say I don't absolutely respect and appreciate what you know he created and the fact that it's still going today and one of the the you know top shows of uh absolutely definitely for his time slot if not just in general yeah we've had a lot of ourselves we've had a lot of our guests on that have you know been on coast to coast Mm -hmm. so um did you ever think though at the time when you were doing that that you would be involved with the show that was similar Actually, kind of did uh, when I was real little. Me and a friend of mine would uh, record like these crazy cassette tape shows, not about this kind of stuff, just about whatever we happened to be thinking about that day. And I wish I could find some of those because I'm sure they're ridiculous. But <laughs> <laughs> Rob yeah. was a podcaster before podcasting. <laughs> I've been recording stuff since I was like five. Yeah, that's true. It's just fun. Yeah, he was doing it before it was cool. Yeah. Rob's a real hipster. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Cobra Kai will be playing again, which I think by the time we put this out, it'll be uh, yeah, past. It'll, but pass, it'll but come back around in, again in May. So right. how's all that going? Great. Okay, you got a whole whole brand new set for this show. Yeah, Good you, times. Yeah, you psychedelic first? Uh, no, but we are playing a little ditty by a band called Hall & Oates. Oh, I've heard of them. You should get. Uh, you should get. Because uh, we were threatened by bikers last time. <laughs> we said that we had to. <laughs> yeah, that was getting rowdy, man. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. You should get. Uh, you should get your keyboard player to do the chase as a memorial to Art Bell. Yeah. Do 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 all right, guys, we'll go ahead and go to the guest. Um, again, Mike Clellan on. We're going to talk about some stories from the messengers, and we'll be right back on Conspiro Normal. All right, welcome back, guys, to Conspiracy Normal, and we have Mike Cleland on the line. And I think Mike really needs no introduction. It's probably one of my most favorite shows uh, from way back when. Uh, we had Mike, we had you on back, I think, episode one hundred and nine. This is going to be two hundred and seven. So it's been it's been a little while. It's been a couple of years, man. So welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. Thank you so much. Yeah, the last time I was, I was uh, had just finished the first book, and now I'm right. just having just published the second book. Yeah, and 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 both are really good books. Um, this one is a little more, I think, 
a little more personal um, in its scope uh, because, well, you kind of explain what you kind of did with this book as opposed to the other book, to the first well, the book, first, The Messengers. Yeah, the, the first book I was, like, I, I realized, and I talked it over with the, with the editor too, and, and the publisher is Richard Dolan, that, like, no one had really addressed it in a book. The, the, you know, there had been other books where there has been the, the connection between owls and UFOs. There's other books out there where that shows up in a paragraph or a few sentences. And oftentimes, the, even the author will remark, you know, like, there's this odd connection. Why is this connection with owls? So it's, it was out there. That was out there. Oh, just a second. Excuse me. <clears throat> so that was out there. Um, and I so I I realized, like, oh, God, if I'm going to address this, I got to really make a forceful argument. So, um the first book, The Messengers, is a is on one level just a collection of stories. I editorialize a little bit and I formalize how the stories are presented, but I try to speculate. I certainly speculate plenty in that book, but I try to do it to a minimum and let the stories speak for themselves. And what I found when I did the first book, and it broke my heart, is that I had uh, like I would you would talk you call someone up who's had these contact experiences. And I was interested in the owl thing, right? So they have a, this whole, all this stuff going on in their life and these experiences and this strangeness and it's this loopy logic. And and there's sort of a consistency to the, I almost want to say the irrational quality to these people's stories. And um, and all I was interested in was the owl thing. So I sit on the phone for six hours and I boil it down to, you know, Joe saw an owl and, uh, and, uh, and then a little while later he saw a UFO. And that just broke my heart. So I, I kind of had the initially I thought I was going to include some of these stories in the in the second book in the first book. And they, they're some of them are touched upon, um, but they're touched upon. And so the the it just it as I said it broke my heart to not be able to tell these stories fully. So the second book was me really just like okay we're going to tell this story in every single detail. And there was. There was a, you know, I even, I've been reading it aloud because I'm trying to do an audiobook, which is incredibly slow for me. But I'm, what I realize, and I say it because I have to verbalize it, and I'm saying, like I say, and one more thing that's interesting. <laughs> and then I'll, you know, there's like another part of the story, and I have to, I'm, I'm speaking it aloud in the audiobook production thing here. But I realize how often I say that. Oh, there's one more thing. Oh, and another thing. And another thing, which I couldn't do in the first thing. So this second book is me addressing the the richness and the strangeness and the depth to these people's experiences. And there is a kind of irrational logic, or let's say an illogic, to these stories. They don't really make sense. They're not, they don't tie up in a nice tidy bow at the end. And um and that was that was my goal. And it was I'm I'm really happy with the second book. It's it's shorter than the first book. And there was all kinds of stuff that I was required to do as far as um you know, like I really had to had to really connect with these folks. So I feel like a really deep connection to to everyone in the book, except for Kenneth Arnold, which was kind of a you know that was like sort of a that sort of stands alone in its in that essay. But um, so yeah, so that was the point of the second book was to just tell these stories. There's 19 chapters. Each chapter is its own is its own you know f- uh, real life experience for, for someone for someone. Well, since it's been a while. Um, since we've had you on and some of our people that have not maybe have heard that show yet are new listeners. What is kind of the, 
the theme of the first book? What's what's what were you trying to? And I think successfully you did it. But what were you trying to to get across in the first in the first book? I was trying to get across the connection between UFOs and owls. I mean, and and so there's the problem with doing this kind of research is you have to be content with the question being unanswered, right? You have to be con- content with the and a lot of people like nuts and bolts researchers. You know, they they want a pragmatic question, an answer to these questions, and it, it ain't out there. But um, what I can say with from my what I can for myself, I can say with absolute certainty, there is a connection between owls and UFO contact. What that might be is a slippery slope, and but I know there's a connection. How and why it works, I don't know. What I found um, was that, and this is from my own direct experience, um, I uh, saw a handful of owls. I'm sure I told this story. I've told this story so many times at this point. I saw a handful of owls, three owls, while camping with a stranger, not a stranger, a friend, an acquaintance. We were out under the stars. And, uh, and this is in the Rocky Mountains in uh, Grand Teton National Park, or right near Grand Teton National Park. So a beautiful environment. Sun is setting. And these owls show up. And three owls flew above us, landed near us, landed on branches near us. And it was, it was absolutely mystical. Mystical in this profound way. Uh, we would lie on our backs under the stars. We didn't have a shelter. And the, and the owls would fly above our faces and blot out the stars for just a millisecond. The owls are very quiet, so it's a very mm. eerie sensation. It was just magical. After that camping trip, we I said, you know, her name was Kristen. I said, Kristen, let's go. Let's do this again. We should go camping again. She said, yeah, let's do it. So four days later, we went camping again. The same thing happened. Three owls. This time, these owls were close. Before, they were kind of swooping above us and kind of landing off in the trees nearby. This time, they were right next to us. They would land on the ground right next to us. They'd land on the branch right next to us, almost within touching distance. And to have it happen once was pretty cool. To have it happen twice was absolutely transcendent for me. It it kind of pushed me off a cliff. What I said at the time, excuse me. What I did not say at the time, and I'm saying now, is that I heard a voice when those owls were nearby, and that voice said, this has something to do with the UFOs. Both nights, I I sensed that. I heard that voice. It was like an internal knowing. What I, at that point in my life, I was at a point in my life where I needed to look into some UFO contact experiences, some experiences that certainly played out like UFO contact, and I was denying them. I knew I had to look into them, and it was these owls. I'm not kidding. It was these owls that sort of said, well, now i got to look into this. And so I started talking with uh, abduction researchers. I worked with Bud Hopkins and Leo Sprinkle. And I, and I also started talking to people who had the direct contact experience. And the question I would ask all these people is, have you ever had any odd experiences with owls? And that came from this firsthand experience. And not it wasn't 100%, but it was enough that there was a very clear pattern. People would say, you know, no one's ever asked me that. I have this really weird story I can tell about an owl. So I started collecting those stories. It didn't take long to collect a lot of those stories, and that became the the foundation of the big book, The Messengers, was those stories 
trying to make sense of them, trying to make sense of this sort of uh, mystical aspect to this stuff. And uh, and it's so why owls is the question I wrote over and over and over again. Why owls question mark in the production of that book and in the production of the second one too. Um, and that's what I was that's what I was trying to answer. Right, and in this book is more the personal stories. People's some of them involve you, and some of them don't involve you. And I'll get to some of the ones that, in, that kind of more directly involve yourself. But did you find any kind of like answers in these in these stories that you that maybe that kind of eluded you in the first book? No, not so. the 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 second book is called um, uh, "Accounts of the." That's titled "Stories from the Messengers." The subtitle is "Accounts of Owls, UFOs, and a Deeper Reality." If I found anything, I found like this, this, this hinting. Like if these stories are playing out the way they seem to be playing out, it's telling me that there's some deeper reality behind this reality that's interacting with with us and using owls symbolically. That's that made it right into the title. The um what I did find is that the first book was it was like a five year process to write that book. I mean it's three years of really writing it and then the you know, the a collection of five years really working hard to collect the data. Um, and the stories and, and that book was a, that book was my own therapy. That was like a five year therapy session for me doing that book about my own experiences. So I was wrestling with my own demons in, in doing that book. I entered into the book project, kind of nervous, tense, confused, insecure about a lot of things. I, I, I completed it a much calmer person. I don't really feel like I have answers, but I'm a much calmer person. The second book, I was talking to people on the phone. I was, you know, a lot for the second book. And I could hear the voice on the other end. I could hear that nervousness. I could hear that confusion. I could hear that, mm. that, that urgency, that tension. And, um, and that was me. And I, so I was hearing myself in, in those people. And I'm, I feel like, I'm, I'm, it's not like I have an answer or I'm perfect or I'm, I'm at peace perfectly, but I'm much calmer now than I was. I, there's a level of acceptance that I've gained through the first book. And I could, and I could, there's a few people in the second book, I say it in the conclusion, that kind of stepped into this thing like, well, I don't know why you want to tell my story. I don't really, you know, like, why, well, you know. And then, you know, we'd collect and like any other stories, like, oh, yeah, you know, I have this other thing happened. Yeah, no, and this other thing. And by the end of the formal writing process, we're, where I would have to go back and forth and send these folks. I wanted this book to be accurate to their experiences. So I was saying, I would send it back. And most of the feedback I got was great, you know, and, and I would, I would take all their feedback, but they would have to read and reread and reread their own story. And, and, and I watched a handful of folks, not all of the people in the book, but some of them sort of came to the realization that like, Oh my gosh, this is true. Like I'm involved in this. And it was my, it was the the act of writing, the formal act of me writing out their story, that that allowed them to 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 come to the realization that like oh this does involve me. Hmm. Yeah, it seems that there is a very like you mentioned the therapy aspect, therapeutic. Do you think that you that in the same way that you were helped in writing the first book, that you have helped some of these people? As like a form of yes. therapy. Yeah, I think I have. I think I have. And it's, you know, it, 
to lesser and greater degrees, depending on who the people, some of them are very self-assured and we're very, you know, uh, aware of their own experiences stepping into the project. And, um, but a few of them weren't, a few of them weren't. So it wasn't all of them, but I definitely felt that, yes. So I can say yes, not, not all of them, but a handful were. Did you have some that were, that had kind of like a, a mix of fear and trepidation and then maybe some that were more, as you said, self-assured about this phenomenon and, and didn't really worry about it as much? Was there kind of a mix there between the kind of like different psychologies? Oh yeah, yeah. Some of them were very, some of them were very aware of their contact experiences stepping into it, and then, right. um, uh, and then some, you know. But most of them were kind of in that, you know. At, at no point in this book does anyone say like I was lying on a table. You know, there's none of that in the book. Mm-hmm. There's a few points where people have a fleeting memory of a, of um, like being in a hallway. But this isn't that kind of a UFO contact book. With the, you know, oh, I was on the table and they were performing these medical exams and and I was taken from my room at night. It's not in this book. It's not in the first book. A couple of little points where it's hinted at in the first book. But so I think that stuff has been done enough that it's already like it's that's like what permeates the pop culture idea of what UFO contact means. It means being plucked from your car, taken aboard a UFO, laid on a table, medical exams, they bring you back and then they erase your memory. Everyone knows that story, um, but that's not what—that's not what's rising up. That's not what I'm hearing when I talk to these people directly. Um, I'm hearing something much different, much, much more, much, much more mythical in a way. Yes, and and you mentioned in the first book about there's an aspect to these experiences that are very similar to like a shamanic experience. Yeah, and I'm not the first one to say that. Though John Mack had written about that, and then sure. also Kenneth Ring had written about that. Yes, so there's a there's a shamanic initiation aspect to this. So the young initiate goes through a, you know, wherever you are, like if you're on the plains of of North Dakota, or if you're in Siberia, or if you're in the jungles of, of you know Brazil, and you're an, a shamanic apprentice, you are going to go through ritualistic ceremonies. These ceremonies are, in a in a way, repeated um, with with this UFO contact experience. Oops, hold it! My phone just turned on for some reason. Siri's talking to me here. Um, <laughs> so it's funny. I was like looking at it. It's like, why is it turned on? It's like so. It a- it's answering the question about shamanism right now. That's so funny. <laughs> okay, I found this on the web. Ceremonies are. In us with a way repeated. Oh, okay, yeah, so uh, oh no, the, the, Siri just the, turned on. Yeah, the, the synchronicities. Well, see, no, so we had Lauren Coleman on our last show, which we just posted a couple of days ago, and we. So this is a really what, having you on is a nice follow up because we talked a lot about synchronicities and we talked about the kind of his ideas about synchromysticism and all that different kind of stuff. Um. And synchronicity plays a huge part in your in these stories as well, Absolutely. especially in your own personal stories. Absolutely, yeah. And that, there's a fellow named um, Alan Green, and Alan's a uh, great researcher. He's one of the synchromystics out there, and um, he he says that synchronicity is like a compass on a on a on a on an open ocean on a cloudy day. Right, you cannot proceed in any direction. Without a compass, you need the compass to proceed forward. If there's stars or sun, you can get an idea, but you need the compass. 
And so he says he uses comp- the, the synchronicity the same way he would use a compass on a boat to, to proceed forward on his life path. And I've done the same thing too. I've trusted synchronicity. I trust it. And if there's, it's funny with Richard Dolan, there was one story in the book that he was like, well, I'm not sure about this one. Do you trust this story? And I'm like, Rich, do you know how many synchronicities I had during the production of that, that one story, the synchronicities that welled up that I, that I hinted at in the story. And there was almost too many to even include, but, but so that to me is a form of, uh, confirmation is the wrong word, but let's say subtle confirmation. For me, it's a, it's a, you know, like if you're in the, it's if you're on the boat, you need to know which way to go. Yeah. So that was, I, I said I could proceed forward with that story because of the synchronicities. Yeah. Cause the, the meaningful, the meaningful coincidences, uh, going back a little bit to what you were saying about the old ideas about Alien abduction, and I think I've told you before. I, I hate that term. I prefer I prefer contact experience, just from you know people like yourself that have written about this and that I've read. That I think that's more of a contact experience because alien abduction is a really loaded term. But are you seeing more and more that that aspect of you know being taken out of your bed, taken on the spaceship? Uh, poked around and being ter- returned, that that is kind of changing now to people having just these more profound experiences. This is a great question, and I can't answer that because I'm not researching that the people being I'm, you know that, that that stuff. Most of that stuff emerges out of um, hypnosis; those memories, right? And I'm not doing any hypnosis. None of the people in the book have had hypnosis. Almost no one in the first book had hypnosis. That's I've a, had a few hypnosis sessions. I'm not, I don't have any memories of being on a table. That's a key um, point in yeah. all the stories that you've collected that you are, you, are rec- you are remembering things that have nothing to do with hypnosis. <laughs> well, a little bit. I mean, people, if people have a hypnosis session, then, I mean, I can talk about some things that show, showed up in my hypnosis sessions, but they were um, – it's pretty fleeting. I mean, it's, I didn't get any kind of thing. I wouldn't, I have got nothing I would call proof. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, you have a funny memory and it's like, wow, that would, that didn't seem real. Like I got a memory that didn't seem real, you know, and, uh, that came through a hypnotic regression. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I address it and I look at it and I think about it, but I, I can't, I can't call it truth. So, um, yeah. So both of these books, very little, I don't think there's even the word hypnosis. Maybe some hypnosis, the word hypnosis is even used in the second book. I could, um, but it, it shows up a tiny bit in the first one. And reading through these stories, um, there's a lot of talk about missing time. And as Certainly, I, yeah. and as I was reading some of those stories, I was thinking to myself, the missing time aspect seems to be, it's almost like in the UFO literature, the alien abduction literature, that's just like a, a byproduct, a side product. But that seems to me in these stories that there's something even profound about this, the missing time aspect as well. Well, I mean, if you've got missing time, the, 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 the issue is on a human level, right? So if you're a researcher, you're like, oh, human, or like, you know, the missing time could imply this and this could imply UFO contact, could imply that there's, a, there's some, the, you know, the UFO came and took someone away. Possibly put them on a table, possibly, and then returned them, and then. Uh, but, but the. You talk to the people who've had missing time. It's like, it's like 
weird. It is like shattering. Like what happened? I have mm-hmm. no memory at all. There's this one story in the in the second book. This woman, um, her father is living at her house with her, and she's a, she's a grown woman. And and uh, the father literally runs into the room with a shotgun. He said, "There's something outside," and and there's this. I think an airplane crashed in the yard. She's like, "What? I didn't hear anything." And it's midnight. They walk through the kitchen. She knew what time it was before her father walked into the room with a shotgun saying an airplane crashed in the yard. Something happened. Hmm. And they walk out into the yard. They walk through the kitchen. There's a great big clock. It says 12.02. She's like, Daddy, there's nothing in the yard. There's nothing here. And he said, there's something happened. There was someone outside my window. Something happened outside my window. There was bright lights. There was colored lights. She said, there's nothing here. They go back in the house. They were out there for less than two minutes. They come back in the house and it's 202. Somehow they lost two hours of time. There's nothing in she was freaked out about this. This was this happened during the writing process. This this story. So I got to hear it like firsthand shortly after it happened. It was not a peaceful experience. It was jarring. And this is what I'm more interested in, this human aspect. Um uh, uh, Ryan Sprague, an author Ryan Sprague, um has a book called Somewhere in the Skies where he examines the very human aspect of what these experiences really mean, what That's it means to endure book. these things. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great book. The the fact that she comes in, it's 12.02 and she comes back and it's 2.02. Well, there's a synchronicity right there. Why is it an, yeah, just, e- why is it an even two hours? You know? <laughs> one, one digit, just the number yeah. one got removed, you know, from the, from the clock. Yeah. Right. So, very strange. And she, uh, she, and I was like, I quizzed her on, could you have misread the clock? And she was like, absolutely not. Well, let's get into some of the stories because um, this is really where it's all, what it's all about. And uh, what some of my favorite episodes have been on this show have been episodes where we talk to people just about stories. Oh yeah, and these these first person accounts, and I'll go for the uh, for the juicy one first with the juiciest title in the book, uh, "White Owl and the Hound of Hell." <laughs> oh, that was that's the first book. That's the first story in the book. That actually is very briefly told in the Messengers, very briefly. And I um, there's a there's a crop circle researcher named uh, Bert Jansen, and his wife is named Heather, and she's a shaman. And this is, so here's a crop circle researcher with a wife who's a shaman. So the story sort of begins where Bert was um, in, this would have been the late 90s. He was in crop circle country in England, in Wiltshire County. And he was uh, in a field at night, or sunset, it was sun was setting. And he was, um, he had made the decision. He'd been researching crop circles three years and he was done. Like, I don't have to do it anymore. I'm done. I can move on. What am I going to learn? Seen it all, done it all. Three years, I can walk away. And he's having these thoughts, and he looks across the field, and there's a there's a, a little floating orange ball of light. And it floats around, and it zips around the field, and he's watching it. It shrinks down to about the size of an orange, and it grows up to as big as a great big balloon, and it shrinks down again. It's zipping around. And it's an orange orb. It's like he's heard about these things. This is part of the lore. And he'd never seen one. And here it is. He's watching it. And it like zips around the 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 the, the farmer's field. And it goes behind a uh, a shed on the other side of the field. 
goes behind the shed and he's he's zipping along and it goes behind the shed. He wants he wants to see it zip out the other side, you know, but it doesn't. It doesn't come out. It's like he's like, did it go in the shed? Could it have gone in the shed? So he walks around and around the back side of the shed, there's a window up on the second floor, right where this this uh this farmer's shed, right where and it has broken glass. So like, could it have gone in that window? He goes around the front, and he puts his ear to the to the door, and hears this eerie hissing sound. Hiss, hiss. And he's like, oh my, well, I go like and he the door's locked and it's dark. And he's like, I'm gonna come back tomorrow. So he comes back the next day and and the door is locked. He does something I have so much respect for. He breaks the lock. <laughs> he goes, he breaks the lock and he opens the door, and there's this eerie hissing noise. Hiss, hiss. So he looks around and there's this ladder that goes up to a loft and that's where the hissing noise is coming from so he climbs up the ladder and he peers over and there's a family of barn owls mm. a family of white barn owls and they do make a very eerie hissing noise if you, you just go on google baby barn owl it's a creepy noise so he says what did i see did the did the orange orb turn into an owl i mean this is why why so he said, from that point on, I always felt there was a connection between this orb phenomenon, which is a UFO, on a, it's unidentified flying object, translucent orange orb. It's not like a metal spaceship. And these these owls. So years later, he he's now with his wife, Heather, and they are running organized tours through the Wiltshire County. And, and he is... Um, the the tours are focused not on crop circles, but on uh, like the ancient sites, going to Stonehenge, going to Avebury, going to Silbury Hill, going to Salisbury Cathedral. You know all these beautiful places in in mystical, magical places, these ancient places and medieval places, in among this wonderful landscape. I've done a fair amount of traveling in that part of the world. It's just glorious. So. But they weren't looking at crop circles. So it's like I think there was eight clients on this trip. So there's two guides and eight clients, and and they're and they say, um, everyone's saying, can we see a crop circle? And he's like, ah, it doesn't work that way. We can't see a crop circle. It's May. The crop circles really don't come out until, you know, this. We know we can't guarantee. It's hard to chase a crop circle, right? They're going to appear where they want to appear. You can't predict them. They've got a life of their own. They got to. So we're just going to stick with. And then they, Bert and Heather go to dinner, and they said, you know, let's. Let's look at crop circles if they meet these five conditions. I got to do these off the top of my head because I don't have the book in front of me. It's got to be on a ley line. And there's these traditional ley lines that are part of of uh, the the lore there. And so people who follow this stuff have all these ley lines traced out on a map. It's got to be on a ley line. It's got to be near a sacred site. It's got to be on the correct side of the road. So we park, we have to be able to park and not cross the road, which seems a little silly, but you take a bunch of Americans over to England and you cross a road. And let me tell you, it's, it's, you, you, it's, I have made the mistake many times and I feel like I've taken my life in my hands, but there's gotta be plenty of parking. That's four. And the fifth is the farmer has to welcome us in the field. And they basically said, no one is ever, we're never going to make these things. We're not going to see any crop circles. So they leave the restaurant after making those conditions. They're driving along, and all of a sudden, they're, they're, they said, "Let's go! Let's go do a little night watch at this place called um, the Tires, which is just a spot in the crop circle country. It's a parking lot that on a gentle hill that overlooks some fields. Let's, and it's pretty, and it's a pleasant night. And so they're driving, and this owl flies into their headlights, 
And they literally say, it's our guide. We're being guided. The owl's guiding us. And they drive along. And this, there's some twists and turns. And the owl turn. They follow the owl. And then all of a sudden, where'd the owl go? Oh, it's on that fence post over there. So they park the car. And they walk up to this fence post. And the owl flies off. Now, Heather is all of a sudden struck with this sort of visionary experience of, wait a minute, I'm, I'm seeing the ground. I'm, I'm like, I'm zipping along. The ground is undulating. I'm seeing through the eyes of this owl, which is a perfect thing for a shaman to do. It happens spontaneously. Mm. She's had that thing happen a few other times, spontaneously seeing through the eyes of a deer. So, so they get back in their car, they're driving along. Oop, the owl's in front of their car again, leading them again. And it leads them to this road, and they're done. They're following the owl, and all of a sudden, the owl is like, zips up and flies high into the sky. It's making these loops in the sky. And Bert gets out of the car, and Heather's in the car. She's looking for a flashlight. And so she's in the car, straight road, little gentle hill crest. Heather's, or Heather's in the car looking for a flashlight. Bert is right in front of the car looking up at the owl in the sky. And behind him, this big, giant, lumbering, like, giant cat dog thing inky black moves like a predator big feet big jaw it's not a dog it's not a cat passes the road right behind him and she screams ah like she runs out bert 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 be careful he doesn't see anything they have the flashlight now they look for footprints they look around for footprints they look where it entered or would have exited the farmer's field it should have pushed something the crops down a little bit there's nothing there's mud they're leaving footprints this didn't leave footprints she saw it the next morning, they go to Stonehenge at dawn. Like, if you were writing a movie script, this is so perfect, right? They go to Stonehenge at dawn. They watch the sunrise. It's an amazing experience for them and their clients. Then they go to a nearby town, Salisbury, and they go to this St. Thomas Church. I've been in this church. It's an amazing, ancient, old church. And as the, just before they enter, one of the clients says, Oh, look, I, I got this book on the on the myths of, of, of uh, ancient England. Here, look at this cool picture. Look at I want to show this to everyone. She shows this picture without any prompting. It's the it's the dog. It's the hound of hell. It's the hound of hell that she saw on the road. Freaky. <laughs> yes. So there's the synchronicity. And she's like, she, her mind is spinning. She, and and, and Later that day, they go to a beautiful sacred site called the West Kennet Longborough, which is the, which is thought to be a burial tomb, though it's more a ceremonial site that's underground. It's kind of built on this hilltop, and it's kind of partially buried. Um, it's like a stone structure that's been buried by earth on top of this beautiful hill. And they have a little, they, everyone thinks it's this amazing experience. They get done. They walk out. And the way the long barrel is aimed, and when you walk out, they look across, and it's gentle rolling hill. You're on top of this wonderful hill. And they look out, there's a crop circle lined up with the West Kennet long barrel. And they, hmm. they pull their binoculars out, and there's parking on that side of the road right next to the crop circle. It's on the same side of the road as the crop circle. Plenty of parking. They look through the binocular, and there's a, there's a, there's a barrel and on the barrel, they can see a little sign. And, and Bert, having spent a lot of time there, knows what that is. That's the donation box. And then when they get there, they can actually read the sign and it says, please enjoy the crop circle. You know, if you can, leave a donation. So all five things were met. The farmer welcomed them into the field. It was a long ley line. It was close to a sacred site. The parking was perfect. They went there and Bert and, and Heather, who had spent years 
doing crop circle research, had never seen a crop circle like this. Some crop circles are very black and white, right? The, the crop is pressed down. This was just like, just the top part of the crop was bent over. And it was bent over in this gentle swirling spiral. And it was a perfect circle. So, so it wasn't like someone went in there with a board and stomped this stuff down, because that's not what it was. The crop was standing up, and it was just the very tips of it were all bent over in this spiral. And they said it was so magical, the experience. Now, now, Bert had been researching crop circles, and the thing that that he's fascinated with is there's a there's a a um, mathematical properties within circles, and the properties called squaring the circle. So if you have two circles, you can you can figure out the properties. Can you put a square around one of these circles? There's dimensions that are very recognizable if you measure it. And this is an alchemical, uh, ancient alchemical kind of, um, I almost want to say ritual. That's not the right word. But it's, it's a tool used for the philosopher's stone, squaring the circle, turning, turning lead into gold. Afterwards, a week later, there was another circle around that same crop circle. Like it appeared overnight. And then Bert did some mathematical things. He said, that's squaring the circle. It works out perfectly in the equation. And wait a minute, the crop circle I was in was squaring the circle. So this is Bert's this is Bert's passion. This is his obsession, finding the equations for squaring the circle in crop circles. He was in one. He didn't even see it. He says. Without, he just says straight up, he said that second crop circle was basically the, the, the entities, whatever energy makes the crop circle, was saying, Bert, you dummy, you missed it. And so that story, so that's a, that story opens the book. And um, we have an orange orb, we have owls, and, uh, and we also have all this ancient mystical stuff. And this story has the flavor of the of some of the other stories in the sense that there's this kind of as i said earlier this loopy logic where this stuff doesn't really get tied up into a nice bow that has a very tidy beautiful ending with you know them actually finding the crop circle but but there's this kind of chaos almost within these stories that i just find so fascinating yeah there's several different things going on there <laughs> all at once well, and they're all colliding, and you can't. It's right. like one. It's like it's like tangled up. You pull one of them. So, like, wait a minute. Am I? Is this a crop circle thing, or is this an owl thing? Is this a? Is this a ancient site, or is this a, a synchronicity? You know, they're all blended together. Once again, kind of dipping into, you know, like alchemy is in there, and this kind of like oh, yeah. the myth, oh. old mythology aspect oh, that you talk Stonehenge. about in the first they book. Yeah. Stonehenge at dawn. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. get any trippier than that, you know? Yeah, that's true. It's very true. You also talk about in the book um, a story about owls and drones. This is almost the exact opposite, right? So here we're totally in the modern age now yeah. with this story. This is the woman, Cindy, that I told that the issue, she, this, her, she's the one that had the missing time event in her home with the clock saying 12 o'clock, 12.02, and then coming back and saying 2.02. Her name is Cindy Dove. And I am so grateful for these people. Like, I didn't, I was like trying to tell these people, you do not have to use your real name. Your real name. And she's like, use my real name, go ahead. Like, I'm, she's a grandmother. Like, what do I, you know, what's going to happen to me now? So <laughs> she's a wonderfully Southern, oh, you're, yes. So, she, I mean, she's sassy and funny and talks fast. And, and um, she, 
I did a talk on uh, another radio station. She was helping out with the with the uh, like the forum board, the message board during the interview, and helping out with the production. And she has never done this. At the end of the talk, she called me up. She said, "Mike, I want to talk to you about this." I'm like, great, let's talk. So I have an owl experience. She was in her house. I got a date on this. I think it was 2011. I might have that wrong. She was at her house. The friend was over. She walked the friend back to the car. It was nighttime. And as they're walking back from the house to the car, there's an, there's like her, her first initial thought was that Mothman was standing in their driveway. Uh, and then she realized yeah. it was a big owl on top of a garbage can. Like big. And its arms, or its arms, listen to me, its wings were outstretched. Its wings were outstretched, and this owl is standing in a garbage can, its wings outstretched, totally in this frozen pose. They walked right up to it. They could have touched it. They were like right next to it. And they're like, what's wrong with this owl? And the guy's like, I don't know, it's some sick owl. I don't know why it's standing there. It's not moving. They don't think anything of it. They walk back to the, she drops them off in the car, and she walks back up the drive, and she has to walk back past this thing alone. She said, something doesn't feel right. You know, but she just, Walked in the house and figured out a way to forget it. The next day, this is in a, she's in Little Rock, Arkansas. Next day, she's pulling into her, her house and an owl flies past her windshield. She says it actually flies from the direction of the garbage can. She's like, this must be the same owl. It's big owl. Whoop, flies right in front of the windshield. She lived in that neighborhood all her life. She's a grandmother. She's never seen an owl in that neighborhood. She sees two owls within 24 hours. And after that, she starts having experiences that, I mean, I can't say what the source is, but I, I sure know what it sounds like. She has experiences of waking up in, in bed, like with marks on her body, bruises, scratches. She wakes up, one morning she wakes up as if she's been tucked in, like you tuck a baby in. She's, the bed has been made perfectly, she's tucked in, and, and someone has like made the bed so tight and pushed it in so tight that she almost can't get out. And she's also starts seeing orbs around the house, big, giant orbs in the yard, glowing, translucent orbs. During this time, her daughter, she'd been she always been talking. I should move to a different house. I want to live in a different neighborhood. Her daughter just kind of takes a turn she'd never taken before, goes into this neighborhood she's never been in before, then turns down the street she's never been on before, and says, "Oh, there's a there's a for sale sign. Let me write the number down." She gives the number to her mom. Said, "Mommy should call this number." Mom does. Cindy calls the number. And little by little, boom, 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 she's fast-tracked into this house. All this weird stuff in the in the purchasing process. Weird stuff with the banks, weird stuff with the title company. The guy had gotten no offers on the house. The house was underpriced for the neighborhood. And all of a sudden, whoosh, she's in this house. The first night in the house, she's in the front yard. It's night. And these two little helicopters come flying down the street. Like little helicopters. She's like, are these toys? Is What is going on? So she runs up to these helicopters and she gets close enough to realize there's no pilot on these things. They're not big enough for a pilot to be on them, but they're like normal little helicopters. And the next night it happens again. And she pays attention to the direction they came from. So first night in the house and the second night she pays attention. She gets on Google Maps and there's an airport right next to her. Right next to her, there's like a fence behind her house through the trees. And that fence on the other side of the fence is an airport. Little teeny airport. I've looked at it on a Google Maps and such. Now, what 
what happens from this point on is night after night after night, she's seeing, she's seeing these weird craft, weird lights, weird craft. She's videotaping them. She's got, she's got a YouTube site. I think it's called the drone report, Cindy Dove drone report. You can look it up. You know, actually when was this Mike? This was, this I think was after 2011. So this would have been in the mid, I mean, maybe five or six years ago. So I don't think the the small drones were as available then as they are now. No, yeah. not the toy ones. Yeah. Okay. So so and she said these were pretty high tech. These with she basically said if this is a toy, it's an expensive toy. Um, she that was her first thought. Some some neighbor has an expensive toy, and that was she said this is no toy. When she got a close look at those helicopters. Now, yeah. So yes, correct. Within the six or seven years, this the the. The, what what you can actually see, and I've done, I've made this mistake. I've seen little kids flying a little drone in the neighborhood, and I'm like, "What is that? It flies with an yeah. eerie smoothness." Even a even the thirty nine dollar ones you get from Toys R Us, you know, um, fly with this eerie, weird smoothness. She's seeing these things every night. Weird lights. She's archiving them. She's you, putting them on YouTube. Honestly, the YouTube videos are a little difficult to to. Fully, I mean, it's, you're looking at a little dot of light in the sky for the most part. And um, she's narrating. And she started obsessively doing drone research. She has become sort of a, an expert and, at drone research now. She also was working for MUFON. And she has kind of made an enemy of some of the old timers there. Because she's saying that many, if not most, of what are presently being reported as... UFOs, the reports that come in, could easily be drones, man-made drones. They fly with different flight characteristics than than anything else. They don't fly like helicopters. They don't fly like planes. They're they're this new this new chapter of flying technology that that is has been very secret. Now it's you know we understand we know what drones are. They're toys, but there's also military applications and and they're being tested. And she is convinced that they're being tested at this little airport right next to her house. Now, like I didn't go down there. Like I didn't do a full investigative reporting. I did not go down there. But I did a little bit of research on the stuff. And and there's she says her father worked at that site. They were mining bauxite for Reynolds aluminum at that site. And there's underground caverns. And so, I mean, it just plays out perfect. You can just, you know, they kick in it's like a it's like a perfect setup for an X-Files episode. But <laughs> why? So here's the biggest, bigger question. Now, she's had all these other experiences. I told you the missing time experiences. She's had very, very strange experiences. And those are detailed in the story. Uh, she has a sitting in bed reading. There's a knock on the wall. The next thing she knows, her end table in her house is levitating. It's moving back and forth. There's a lamp on top, a big, heavy lamp. The lamp doesn't fall off. It's moving back and forth, pounding into the wardrobe on one side, pounding into the wall, pounding into the bed. And she's like, what is going on? Why is this thing moving? She thought the dog or something was like tangled up in something. She gets on the floor. There's nothing. It's floating about five inches off the ground. Goes on for like 15 minutes. She gets her dad in there. He gets on the floor. He tries to look under the bed. The the um, uh, the power strip lights on fire, explodes, boom. The, the hovering table plops to the floor. Where does this? How does this fit into aliens? How does this fit into drone research? How does this fit into flying saucers? I, I don't know. This poltergeist activity is something right. that shows up again and again. Yes. Yeah. So now here's the question: Why? 
why she, I asked her, do you feel like, how do you, how, how did you end up in that house? She said, something wanted me in that house. And I said, listen, we trace this back. You're like the first real experience here is, is the owls. The owls happened. Boom. You started seeing orbs. Boom. You found a new house. Boom. You're in that new house. And so your story begins with these owls. And that's me. My story began with seeing owls. So I, like, I speculate all over. I don't have an answer. Like, is it that did the aliens put her in the house so she could spy on the drones? Did the, did the secret government put her in the house so that if someone was talking about drones, if someone was a whistleblower and kind of beating the drums saying, people, they're drones. This is a serious issue, which she's doing. And all you have to do is say, well, this lady works for MUFON. This lady has had UFO experiences. She's untrustworthy. Let's dismiss her outright. A cute, sassy grandmother with a, with a thick Southern accent. Like, who's going to pay attention to her? That's, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have an answer. But I did go through these avenues of speculation. You know, what's there's like a term, a straw man. You, you have someone that can easily be knocked down. She's, they did not put an investigative reporter from the New York Times in that house next to the, to the, uh, to the um, little airfield there. You know, all of these questions are open-ended, but that story is interesting because it's almost the direct opposite. It's modern technology. It doesn't have anything to do with ancient sites, and but it has. But there's owls that that opened the story, that began the story, similar to the other one. Right. Yes. Yeah, starts starts with owls, and it just goes from there. <laughs> and if the owls are the totem of the so in mythology. You know, owls are the totem of like the the transformative experience or the alternate realm. So the book was called The Messengers, the first one, because I kept on getting people would actually say in in their letters to me, they would say, Oh, the owl landed on the tree in the backyard. And then from that point on, they would say, Well, when the messenger was on the tree branch, and like I felt like I understood exactly why I was there, they would just switch, right? To, they would just call this owl the messenger. And and it was it was an easy decision to make that the title of the book. The mythology of owls all over the world, owls can see into the darkness. Owls can see into the night. That very quickly becomes a metaphor for seeing to other realms, seeing into the land of the dead, seeing into the land of the gods, seeing into the land of our ancestors, passing beyond this world and into that world. You take that one step further, that owl needs to come back. He's got to return. And if he returns, he's going to return with a message. So what, so my, my argument is that these owl stories are part of the human experience. They've happened all throughout time. I am certain people could sit around the campfire eating their, you know, mastodon (laughs) meat and tell these owl stories, the same stories I'm telling now. I'm certain people experienced these same types of things throughout history. And that's where the owl mythology emerged from, from stories like this. And so it's happening present day, right? We don't pay any attention to mythology anymore, like, except in, you know, comic books or, you know, they could, but so you look up mythology in the dictionary, it means fake. It means a fable. It means a fairy tale. It means fiction. It's mythology. It's something that's not real. Some researchers like Joseph Campbell will say, no, no, there's a richer there's a lesson in mythology. There's a there's an aliveness to it. There's a there's a there's a reason that we as humans need mythology. And that's what I'm saying 
is that this is a this is the same ancient mythology now presenting itself to modern man, and then we, this is and I'm taking on the role of the uh, you know the mythological interpreter here. Like, what's the mythological message? I don't come up with very good answers, but that's what I'm wrestling with. Why these? Why this symbolic animal in these present day highly charged experiences? And in these shamanic experiences as well, which the next story I wanted to talk about, uh, which is the three white feathers, this this has a lot to do with shamanism, and that aspect is very much in there. You know, it's interesting. The woman is Denise Lynch. She's a very sweet, big-hearted woman. I talked to her. I had a couple phone conversations with her. And um, she's actually, she's written a bunch of books. So a lot of the stuff from is right out of her books, which is great, right? You know, it's so, so easy, right? You can just... I can get the book on Kindle and I can just type in owl and search it out. And so she, and I called her a shaman in the, and I sent her the draft and she said, you take that out. I am not a shaman. You do not call me a shaman. Oops. And I, and I did <laughs> kind of cheat a little bit. I said, she's not a shaman, but she does a shaman like thing. She's, she's shamanic. healing people. Pardon? She's shamanic. Well, yes. Shamanic. Yes. She's, she's shaman light, let's say. So, <laughs> uh, she's, uh, but she's doing Reiki work. She's doing spiritual work. She's doing past life regression, hypnosis. She's, and she's writing these books on animal totems and animal lore and stuff. So, um, she was shot and killed when she was 16 years old. She was riding, she was riding a motor scooter. Someone came up alongside her, rolled down his window and shot her with a gun. Jesus. She died. She died in the hospital. She had the extreme experience of going through the light. It's 1967, the summer of love. She's in the hospital. She sits up to help cut the dress off, all covered in blood. And when she lies back down, boom, everything goes black and she's going into the light. She said it was beautiful. It was like gorgeous. I would, and I've, there's a handful of, I had to write it like three times in the book, the people going into the light. It's almost word for word. Like this beautiful experience of going into the light and then, you know, just like, oh, it's, it's, this sense of perfect universal love and they did not want to come back. And then she literally felt like she, uh, Denise Lynn in this trippy, magical golden environment filled with bliss, filled with universal love, timeless. She's standing on one edge of a river and this river's filled with this crystal and magical water. And she's walking across this ankle deep water. She knew if she got to the other side of the river, she wasn't coming back. She's walking across the river and she gets lassoed. She literally feels like she gets lassoed like a like a like a at a rodeo. And she's being pulled back. She's like, no. And then she basically hears this message like, you have more work to do. You need to go back. She's like, no. She wakes up in her hospital bed in horrible pain. She goes from perfect bliss to to gut-wrenching pain. The doctors says the, the wounds are terrible. She'll never be able to have children. You know gunshot to the abdomen she so that was 67 jump forward to 77 she's with her husband they're gone fishing they're living in san francisco they go out of town up in northern california going fishing they're driving back at night and she's on one side of the truck and he's driving she's looking out the window beautiful night it's clear skies looking up at the pretty stars she goes oh there's a funny light up there She's describing it to her husband. He can't see it. He's driving. He's on the wrong side of the car to look out the window in that direction. Yeah, it's dry. it's like a UFO. And he's like, it's like a satellite or a UFO. No, it's turning. No, it wants us to turn. She's like, it does not want us to turn. Yes, it does. It wants us to turn. Let's go up that road. He's like, I'm not going up that road. No, no, no. It wants. So they go up the road. 
And it no wants us to turn this way now. He doesn't see it. He can't see anything. She's just narrating this stuff. And then he's like, stops the car. He's like, I'm not driving any farther. So she's like, well, at least get out and look at it. So he gets out and he goes, oh, 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 well, I didn't realize. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, that is odd, isn't it? And she, she looks at it and she says, she thinks to herself telepathically, she said, blink your lights. Blink, blink, it blinks its lights. Do it again. Blink, blink, it does it again. Come here. This big giant flying saucer is suddenly hovering right above the trees in front of her. She does something that I, this so, so shaman, this is why I want to call her a shaman. She telepathically says, she looks at this thing and she says she screamed in her mind. She said, I want to be of service to others. I want to help humanity. Hmm. Like, that's, that's, and I was like, why did you say that? And she's like, I don't know. That's just what I said. Something, there's a little airplane comes along and the flying saucer disappears. She's like, it wants us to go farther up the road. Husband's like, uh-uh, we're not going farther up the road. <laughs> he's really, she's like, he was scared. I knew he was scared. He's like, he was denying it. So he's like, we are not going up the road. He turns around, they go back the other way. She's, they get a huge argument. I want to go back up the road. I'm not going up the road. The next morning, all is forgiven and they make love. And she afterwards says, I'm pregnant. He's like, how do you know? She's like, I just know. He said, you can't have kids. She goes, I'm pregnant. Nine months later, their daughter Meadow is born. Now, Meadow, they ended up writing, they are a mother-daughter writing team. They've written some cookbooks in a, uh, together. Now, this is straight out of the literature. I mean, this is like UFOs, weird pregnancies, telepathic communication, the shamanic thing of now she's doing this spiritual work. She was reading Whitley Stuber's Communion. At her kitchen table. She was this is 1987, so we're jumping 10 years ahead now. She's reading Whitley Stuber's Communion. She's fully in the throes of doing the spiritual work at this point. She looks out the window in, in Seattle. She's gotten to the part of the book where Whitley sees the owl out his window. This is all of this mythology. I'm calling it mythology. All of this present-day folklore, which I'm, you know. I've got on my desk here, I've got 650 pages, two books stacked on top of each other, 650 pages tying owls and UFOs together. That was the first mention in pop culture of owls and UFOs side by side in a nonfiction book. I found some fiction references, but never in a nonfiction book. She's reading that passage. She looks out the window. There's an owl on the branch right outside her window. She's like three feet from her kitchen table. Right next to the owl is a raven. Now, owls and ravens do not sit on the same branch side by side. They are like, they are natural enemies. The owls harass the ravens, the ravens harass the owls. They break each other's eggs. Um, They're mean. Yeah, they're mean to each other. So, here's the one person on earth who can interpret the symbolic meaning of an owl and a raven. And she is like, she just sits and looks astonished. You know, what does this mean? Later, now, I don't have the date for this. This is a little more recently. I think it was in the early 90s. She goes into the woods. She's 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 got uh, Native American heritage at this point. She's been working with Native American shamans and shamans in different uh, indigenous cultures all around the world, traveling. And she says, she's, there's, there, there's a point in this kind of journey where she has to find what she calls her true name, her spirit name. She went into the woods with the intention 
of finding her spirit name. She was she had a formal intention. She's it's hot California day. She's out in the sun. She walks into the big redwood forest. It's cool and calm. And the birds and the crickets and the bugs are making all kinds of noise. And she sits down and meditates. As she's meditating, the sound slowly gets lower. The sound turns off. Complete eerie silence. She opens her eyes. And there's an owl on a branch right in front of her, close enough to touch. Great horned owl. She locks eyes with this thing. Feels this incredible communion. She actually said the word download. Gotten ha- People have like called me on this. What do you download? What does that mean? It's like, I don't know what it means. I hear it. I'm just, that is what someone told me. I'm going to put it in the book. I don't know what it is, but that's, she said, I got it. This, she doesn't seem like a lady that would be, she doesn't need to lie about anything. She's staring at this owl. The owl flies off. She looks at the branch where the owl was. There's three little white feathers. She takes, she looks at these little feathers. She puts them in her hand, little soft, white, downy feathers, tiny. And she hears this voice in her head that says, put the owls in your medicine bag. She's like, oh, I've got a nice medicine bag. It's at home. I didn't bring it. It's a traditional medicine bag. It's a Native American medicine bag. It's at home, but I, I don't have it with me. Here's a voice in your head say, you are your own medicine bag. Put the owls, excuse me, put the feathers in your medicine bag. So she eats them. She eats the three feathers right then and there. She says, I don't advise anyone doing this. They're really dry. Trying to eat downy feathers. They're really dry. (laughs) (laughs) So she eats them. And she's like, why I ate them? I just like, I just like, oh, and she just gobbled them up. She heard a voice in her head. Boop, she eats them. This is... This is the Eucharist. This is communion. This is Catholic communion. This is like this is an ancient ceremonial rite that takes place every Sunday morning all over the world. She performed this rite, incorporating the sacred into your body. Yes, she yeah. took on the attributes of the owl. You know, eat of my flesh. You know, become as me. Drink, my, you know, drink my blood. Eat of my flesh. You know, in this you will remember me. Yes. So she's. She now her spirit name was White Owl, White Feather. Excuse me, White Feather. And um, later, this is where it gets so weird. And this is where I like I had to like I left myself a lot of outs because I don't have any way to prove this. Later, she went. Well, I can prove this because she went to South Africa and she, in the height of just when the South Africa was on the verge of civil war, she went there at this 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 uh, point in in you know. Modern history, when South Africa was at the boiling point, right when they let Nelson Mandela out of prison. And she meets this this shaman there, Credo Mutua. He's still alive. He's old. And he speaks English. He does interviews. He takes her around his mud hut. She said, I have met many holy men and many shamans in my travels. I have never met anyone with the magnetic energy that this man projected. He takes her on the hut. He says, oh, here's these old masks. See this mask here? This is a mask with big eyes, pointy chin. So this is the star visitors. You call these, you know, these are, you would call these aliens. And you have been taken by these star visitors many times. Credo Mutua tells that to, to Denise Lynn. And she's like, what? Like, no, I haven't. Like, and she's like, totally like, I'm not going there. No way. I'm not going to. And I asked her on the phone, do you think you're a UFO abductee? She said, uh-uh, I am not a UFO abductee. I am not, I ain't going there. I'm not going to entertain that idea. 
which is fine. But it doesn't make the story less, I mean, the story's still marvelous. Her, her real experiences are so marvelous. Credo Mutua, do you know Joshua Cutchin? Oh, yeah, we know Josh. So Joshua, so I, I can't remember what I, oh, I sent him because she ate the feathers. I said, oh, here's a great story. He, she, she ate the feathers. And he said, um, you know this Credo Mutua story, don't you? Like, no, what's up with Credo Mutua? How did you know? He's in the story. He's, he's like, in the story. So Credo Mutua, you got to look up Credo Mutua story. Credo Mutua claims to have eaten the flesh of an alien. He had a, he, someone gave him a little lump of ugly gray flesh and he and other shamans sat down and in a ritual, they ate it. All of them basically keeled over and went right to the edge of death. Just like Chris, or just like Denise Lynn, and then they had this trippy psychedelic experience. It sounds like like LSD for months, and then they came out of it like very psychic. I cannot vouch for this story, but he says it. This is what he says. I can I can say that it's he's quoted saying all this stuff. I can't vouch for vouch if it really happened. And she, I asked her about it too. I said, "What's this like?" And it's just like she's like it's very challenging as a Westerner. To, to interact with with people from these indigenous cultures because they just treat this magical, mythical stuff as if it is real as the chair in the room with you. They'll just say things straight up like, oh yeah, like like the ancient ancestors like came into my into the into the hut the other day. They were here. It's like what their spirit was here? No, no, they were here. So this is and other researchers have said the same thing. So we have the you know the communion, this ancient ritual being played out. Denise Lynn eats the the owl feathers. Credo Mutua eats the gray alien. This has been my argument. This has been sort of my thought experiment for these stories. These both these books. I am saying that the owl is symbolic of the UFO. They are the same thing. They're so so. Here, there's a perfect example. This in essence. The same story, one with an alien, one with an owl. Owls fly eerily silent. They are seen at night. If you see an owl, it's a big deal. This could The same thing could be said for a UFO. Owls have big eyes. The same thing could be said for the alien. This is all, I mean, this, I'm, I'm, I'm reaching, I'm going way out on a limb to say this stuff, but I'm saying symbolically, they, they are, they are aligned with each other. And, and, uh, and so that story, and this story also personifies something I didn't really notice until the end is that there's 19 stories. I, 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 I had put it on a spreadsheet. I, I can't quite figure out how, what the number is because there's multiple characters in the stories in some of these, but the majority of the characters in these stories are either outright shamans or let's say shaman light. They're Reiki masters. And if they're not, or they're healers. I mean, there's one guy who's a, who's a nurse, works as a nurse. This is a, this is, these are healers. The majority of the people in these stories are healers, shamans, or, or helping people in very straight, pragmatic ways. That is an interesting pattern to me, that to come out of an owl and UFO set of experiences. I mean, obviously this is, this is not a, a dry, formal body of research that I've done. It's, you know, it's, 
it's it's anecdotal. It's I'm very subjective. I'm not being objective, um, but I recognize the pattern that there's these healers that 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 are that have been through this these experiences. I also recognize there's the whole similarity to DMT or ayahuasca. That whole experience is in there as well, with them eating the supposed flesh of this alien. Yes, and I mentioned that. Yeah, that was the blood of the 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 the, the blood of the vine. You know, the the blood of the spirit is that's what they right. call the, the 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 spirit blood. That's what they call ayahuasca in some of the native traditions. And that's blood of Christ. I mean, that's the red wine that's poured every Sunday morning. Yeah, there's there's definitely something there. Uh, before I go on, I think uh, Serfiel had some questions for you. Just some things that he had. Uh, Gather from reading the book, reading some of the book as well. Yeah, um, mostly I wanted to ask about um, some of the the going to more depth on the the concept of screen memories and what sure. some what some models of them might be. I guess I've heard you say and and uh, I've read where you said that the uh, the visions of the owls after or. Uh, preceding these events may have been like projected from whatever kind of intelligence is interacting with people. But then also we have like uh, instances where, where memories are created to, uh, to cover up traumatic events by something that'd be more familiar, like an animal. Um, what do you, what do you think are some of the, the models that could be actually going on? Well, the term screen memory is a term that's used by abduction researchers. And uh, it's so the typical story would be someone's driving down the road at night. They see a big owl on the side of the road, four foot tall owl. They get home. They were like, what happened? I was supposed to be home at midnight. It's two in the morning. I lost a couple hours. That doesn't make any sense. I should have been home at two. I mean, should have been home at midnight. It's two. Maybe they'll go through hypnotic regression. The hypnotherapist will say like, describe this owl on the side of the road and say, well, it's, bald and it's got big black eyes it's got this tight shiny uniform and skinny and it's i don't think i'm describing an owl i think it's something else the implication is that the and it's i'm not this is like i don't know for sure but let's just say the gray aliens seem to be at the source of this the the alien the gray alien is putting a projection into the mind of the observer it would be really freaky to see a gray alien standing on the side of the road. I have a great story right. in the first book where people go to a sky watch. And this one woman has had direct UFO contact experiences. Her name is Karina Sable. She's Canadian. She's got a great book. I can't remember what it's called. The Collectors. She's had some dark experiences. She, her, this is not an easy book to read, her book. But she um, went to a sky watch, a night watch, and they all went to this night watch and they were all at the lake and they all said, oh, let's, oh, we're all tired. Let's all lay down and just, oh, boom, they all go to sleep. They all wake up at the same time again at this park. Like, oh, now I don't feel very good. Like, none of us feel very good. Let's all go home. So they get in the car and they drive home and they're driving down this dirt road coming back from the park in, in uh, British Columbia. I think it's British Columbia. And uh, they turn a corner and I think there's three people in the car. I think there's four people in the car. Three of them scream uncontrollably all at the same time. There's this thing on the side of the road. They all scream. And then the one person driving the car says, what are you screaming at? That's just an owl. 
And they all go, that was not an owl. That was a gray alien standing on the side of the road. <laughs> so we have, a, we have like, there's a screen memory where one person saw the only one person saw the screen memory. Three other people saw the, 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 the real, what, oh, this is gets so like, what, what does real even mean? Three other people seem to have seen a gray alien. Right. One person seemed to have seen an owl. And, and then there's this back history with this, this woman and her family. Now, um, why the owl? You know, what does it mean? Why is it there? Oh my gosh, we could dance around this question for hours. There's no answers, right? I mean, that would could be that simply that that it would be very distressing, and they know it if if they showed themselves. It's a little less distressing to see an owl. Now, owl, it's not just owls, it's deer, it's clowns, it's firemen, it's raccoons, it's cats. These things also show up. Big squirrels. Oh, I saw a four-foot squirrel in my in my bedroom the other night did you hear um, that rob clowns yeah i heard it adam <laughs> I, actually, I think that's so we could trace back the fear of clowns to alien contact there you clown go. maybe you just had clowns. some scream memories rob yeah I mean, like, all the people that go to the circus are like re-traumatized you know, once so but um so the so your question was you know why what does it mean where's this where's the so in my in the first book i put that the screen memory chapter in there early. I wanted to get it out of the way because for me, the more interesting aspect is these real owls that seem to be showing up. Yeah. I mean, I think Denise Lynn saw a real owl close up. She saw a real owl on her windowsill with sitting next to a Raven. See, I we, mean, we were sitting so, here speculating earlier, Mike, that the possibility with these screen memories, whether or not people are actually seeing real owls, but that something about that, triggers them to have these kind of altered state experiences. Yes. Or, hmm, I mean, yes. So yes, that's so here's like, here's a guy meditating. This is out of the first book. He's French Canadian. He was, didn't speak very good English. And so he said, and it's funny cause I had to write it in the book and it didn't show up in, in spell check, but he's just before meditating. He said, I love to meditate outside. And he said, I want to pray for the upliftment of mankind. Upliftment isn't a word. It's like the, the uh, uplifting is, but upliftment isn't. So I want to pray for the upliftment of mankind. It's a perfect word. And he, was, he stood and declared it to the heavens. Sat down, full daylight in this field, meditated, opened his eyes. And there was these ravens kind of hovering at the edge of the field. He's sitting down on the tall grass. He stands up and he sees an owl, a snowy owl. And the, the ravens are harassing the snowy owl. What is going, I mean, that to me, I like, like, it is rare to see an owl in daylight, right? So when I talk to people who have had UFO contact or like UFO sightings, I don't ask, I'm, I'm so bad. Like, I don't, I don't like, when was it? What was the date? I don't even write that stuff down. Like my question is what was going on in your life before you saw the UFO in the lead up to seeing this UFO? What was, what were you seeing? Like right in the moments before, what were you saying? You know, often, oftentimes what people will say is like, you know what I was saying? I was saying I want to see a UFO. So here's a person, you can ask the question, what were you doing just before you saw the owl? He said, I was declaring that I wanted to help with the upliftment of mankind. Boy, that's pretty heavy, right? I mean, that's, a, that's like, that's corny almost. It's so, it's so, like if I was a scriptwriter in Hollywood and I wrote that into the script, like the executive producer would have every right to walk into the office and say, uh, Mike, uh, tone that down a little bit. That's pretty corny. That's uh, so, so 
and there was a couple other things that happened, a couple others. Yes. Yeah, so what happened right before um, Bert Jansen saw the orange orb, the fly, the, the craft, the, the UFO it wasn't a craft. It was a translucent orange orb. What was happening right before he was saying, I'm done. I don't need to do, I don't need to research crop circles anymore. I've seen it all and done it all. Boom. He's confronted with something that takes him down this entirely different road. Yeah. So, and what was, what was, what was, um, Bert and Heather doing right before they saw the owl that led them? They had made a list. They said, we are not going to find, we are not going to visit a crop circle unless it meets these five points in the list. So these are the, that's the question I ask. What is happening before? How is your life different after? So it seems like these people are, are putting some intention out there and then this, this owl is coming as a response, at, you know, bringing the message or Denise Lynn said, I am walking into the woods to find my spirit name. That doesn't get any clearer than that. Yeah. That was her strong intention. Formally. She performed a ceremony. She sat down and meditated. Yeah. Yeah. This is so, I mean, that's like, you know, you pray, you get an answer. That's remarkable. And that's, I think it's overlooked in, in kind of our modern lore, our modern society that, you know, we, we can like these, you know, there's magic that can, that can, that can play out if we, if we're, if we have eyes to see. Real quick too. Um, I wanted to touch on something that I, I had experienced when I was a lot younger where I was, uh, attacked by an owl. Oh my word. Did you, we talk about this before when we talked before? Oh no, I, I, w- I wasn't on the show then. No, no. But uh, I was attacked by an owl probably when I was a. I think I was like probably thirteen or something like that. Um, but what happened? Well, I got to hear the story. Well, now. I was <laughs> I was just outside. I was talking on a cordless phone to a friend, and I was walking around my backyard, and then it just you know pummeled me in the head, and I got scared and started just taking off running uh, through the backyard. And it was, you know, swooping down, trying to get me. I was having to like, you know, <laughs> just jump flat onto the ground and I'm like screaming. But, uh, but so I looked into it and, you know, as I was like reading the book and, and researching owls and stuff, and I guess the owl attacks are common too. I was wondering if you had, if there was any stories, I, I didn't come across any when I was reading the book, of they're, like, they're in the first book a couple in the first okay. book yeah okay but yeah so actually it is oddly common and what yeah. it is is it's understood that the owls are protecting their yeah. nest what's also what's common is people getting their hat knocked off right people get their hats knocked off by owls um yes and oftentimes they'll do it repeatedly right they'll just like you know an owl makes a nest in a city park and people like walk down the little path and every single person that walks down the path is gets their hat knocked <laughs> off or gets scratched and the owls are yeah i mean they're like Predators. Yeah, it, it <laughs> hurt. It hurt. I remember that. <laughs> so, do you, do, so here's the question. What was going on in your life leading up to that? What were you talking on the phone about? Oh, uh, I don't, I do not recall. It was a uh, long time ago. But is there any you, connection? Now you host a paranormal podcast. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Have there been any of these, uh, the, these, these types of experiences with the owls where it was more negative like that? Because it seems like most of these are pretty positive. You know, there have been some, the positive ones way outnumber the negative ones in my research. Those are the people that are finding me. Oh, I've certainly had cool. some folks tell me some sad stories where like, you know, like they had, a, they saw an owl and then later their, you know, niece died or someone close in the family died. Right. But no but, owl attacks followed by experiences or anything? No, no. Okay. I had a, I had one story where the, someone was their, I think it was their father, like basically killed over at home. 
And as they loaded him into the ambulance, he he died. As they put him in the ambulance, there was an owl, like right there next to the ambulance. Like basically, I could see it out the door, out the back door of the ambulance as they were closing the door. So, you know, owl is symbolic of death. So yeah, there's a dark. And if you go to, I mean, uh, I know someone uh, in the Southwest, in the in the uh, Southwest um, Pueblo traditions, the Plains right. Indians of the Southwest, they the owl is a is a dark harbinger of doom. You do not want to play with us. So, some I remember someone they had a job as a teacher, and they they in this poor school district in some reservation, and they they were working. So they came into school with. And they had, you know, a school and wisdom and knowledge and it was graduation time and they brought all these pictures of owls and thumbtacked pictures of owls all over the room. And um, that didn't go over very well in that culture. So they were like, get those things out of here. So, <laughs> cool. Well, um, thanks. Yeah. Let's talk about your personal experiences. Um, because you do talk about how that kind of, inf- some of this really influenced you to write both of these books and there was one that you were just like, you were really freaking out about an experience that had to do with, with uh, owls and synchronicities and like with a psychic as well. Marla Freeze, Yeah. Yeah. So there's, oh my God, this one month of my life, <laughs> October of 2009 was like off the charts. I mean, it was like, I was having so many synchronicities, so much was going on in my life. And this was early on in the month. And for the rest of the month, it was just like everything was was like the knobs were all just turned up. And and it it was and that summer I was seeing so many owls. Now, like I'm I mean, it's oh gosh, I mean to I'm a I I don't like the word. We're stuck with it. I feel strongly that I am a UFO abductee. I've experienced UFO contact. Sure. That's, that's a, that to say it as calmly as I just said it just now, like, oh my God, it took a long time to get to this point. And at the same time, it's like, you know, like it doesn't really invade my life all the time. It's just like this, this things, these like odd events that peppered my life. And the, and those are documented in the first book. Um, that story. So 2009, this was like, couple of years after seeing the owls that I went through that event where I saw the owls in the woods. And if I was just seeing so many owls, I had so many synchronicities after that point in my life. Mm. I wanted to talk to this woman, Marla Fries. She's a psychic in, out of Hollywood. Um, she played Superman's boss in one of the Clark Kent TV shows. I think it was called really? Lois and Clark. She played Superman's boss. And so there's, you got the alien connection right there because Superman's from another planet. Um, right. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, I'm reaching a little bit for that one. But, um, so she was an actress in Hollywood and now she's doing psychic mediumship. I've talked with her after both, my mom and dad have both since passed in the last decade. And I've talked with her both times. Um, it was amazing, really powerful. She, well, this is not even about Marla. So let's just, so I'm at my house. I have a session set up with Marla for October 4th. I think it's Sunday, October 4th. I have a session at one o'clock in the morning, excuse me, one o'clock in the afternoon. I 
am at my desk. I'm looking online. I'm totally obsessed with synchronicities. I find this site called Synchronicity. I've actually since become friends with the uh, the people who run the site. And there's this amazing story. It's called The Owl and the Money Clip. It's retold in the in the book. It's just a little blog post kind of thing. It's a perfect little blog post. Guy and I, guy Jim writes the the post, and it's a um. Guy's having money problems. His family wants to move to a new house, and he's like, the family's giving him pressure. Let's move to this new house. It's a perfect new house. He's like, I, I can't afford it. So he goes. He's like, I'm getting away from everyone. He walks down out the back door. He walks down to the river and goes fishing. He lives in Idaho. This is a perfect Idaho story. Goes fishing, and he's fishing there full daylight. This owl flies over the river. And drops the shiny thing in the water. Water's shallow little river. He walks out and it's a money clip. He picks this money clip, a silver money clip with his initials on it. He's stressed out about money. A silver money clip falls from the talons of an owl and has his has his initials. Hmm. So I'm like, wow, that's a pretty cool story. I'm going to leave a comment there. And par- honestly, part of the comment was, I run a blog where I'm documenting weird owl stories, and this is such a wonderful story. So I was a little bit self-promotion. I was like, kind of had an ego thing. I was like, I'm going to put a little thing here. I'm going to put, you know, push my blog here. So I scrolled down, and before I could do that, there was this, you know, how little uh, comments there, tiny little picture of the person who left the comment. This is this woman with blonde hair and big sunglasses, and she said, oh, I had a really cool owl experience where I was in a, a nest of 50 owls. It was the most mystical experience of my life. And I'm like, okay, now I'm sidetracked. I got to talk to this woman. So you click on her face, you go to her profile page, you find her blog, you find her contact information. Within 20 seconds, I had sent her an email basically saying, I got to hear your, your, your story. And she gets back to me and said, oh, here, I'll send it to you. I wrote it as a creative writing essay assignment. So she sends me the story. She's like in the woods and with a friend. This guy's name is Christian. and they kind of walk into this meadow and and the meadow is it's like this open meadow with trees ringing it she looks up and she's like there's eyes staring back at me she wrote it very mystically and and then she realized there was eyes everywhere then she realized there were like 50 owls in all the trees all the branches were filled with owls and they were all looking at me mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that's a great story. So I actually did the, I mean, I was quoting the back and forth correspondence through email. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's really amazing. And she said, yeah, it was the coolest experience of my life. And then then she says, "Um, oh, and uh, we saw a UFO that night. And I'm like, what? What? Do you know what, like, my blog is about UFOs and owls and synchronicity? You saw a UFO at the night you saw these owls? This is like, this is exactly, this is what my, this is my, what I'm researching. She said, oh, you're so funny. And she, so I sent the, she sent me the, she's like, oh, you're, it's so funny how exciting you get, you know, cause I was like 10 exclamation points on these emails. And so she sends, she sends the, the, the re- remaining essay. She said, it was actually in the essay. I didn't send it. It was just too weird. So they're driving down the road. They get to this point. There's something coming towards the car. They turn off the road. They get out of the car. They watch the thing fly over the road and it, and it, and they don't know, they can't, they have no explanation for what it is. And there's like all this stuff. It's written very trippy. And it's like, you know, did, you know, if they were saying like, do, would, do you want to go with them? They were making jokes. Do you want to go with them? And the other person says, only if they can stop time. And that was like the quote from that night, which is kind of a, 
So I say, oh my God, this is so powerful for me. You have owls, you have the synchronistic stuff in our conversation, and we have a UFO. This is exactly what I'm researching. She said, you know who you should talk to? You should talk to my best friend, Marla Fries. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I have an appointment with Marla Fries tomorrow at one o'clock. <laughs> and so I do the set. So the next, so the next morning, the phone rings. I'm at my house Sunday morning. Phone rings. It's Marla. She's mad. It's like, what is going on? What are you? What is going on? It's like, what are you talking about? It's like, I just got. I just my Stacy just called me. She said that I met your one o'clock appointment yesterday. Like, are you spying on me? What is going on? Are you snooping behind my back? And I'm like, uh, no. I'm just totally baffled. I'm in this totally weird headspace right now. I don't know what to think. And so we talked for a little bit, and she's like, okay, you are coming to this session with an open heart chakra. That's what I want from you. She was stern. She was tough. She was like, you are coming to this session with an open heart chakra. I'm like, oh, okay. So I didn't know what that meant. I sat on the couch for a little bit, and I went, open heart chakra, open heart chakra. So the the uh, uh, the thing was at 1, phone rings at 11. I think it was like 1045 or something. She's like, what is going on? I just gave the worst psychic session I've ever given. I had to stop right in the middle and stop. I was giving your session to this other guy. Like I was doing a session. I was doing a paid session and and it didn't work. I was giving, so we're starting right now. Like, okay. <laughs> Got to so start a little I, early, huh? <laughs> we're starting a little early. So, so she's like, and then instantly the cadence of her voice changes. And she's she's suddenly talking in this kind of halting way. And I'm just like, she's totally in this psychic she's in her different mode it's a totally different voice totally different because she was angry and then she's just like then she's sobbing she's crying she's like oh my god your life S- something is you need to you need to take this stuff seriously you are denying this stuff and that was exactly true i was denying this stuff i was freaked out i mean i said this before and i've said this, and i have no problem saying this but it's a little embarrassing in a way to say it but there was between about 2006 and 2011 I can honestly say I spent 95% of my waking hours wondering if I had gone insane because this stuff was so weird. It was hitting me so hard. So, and then I go through a little, some stuff with, so yes, so the one thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because it sounds a little audacious, but I have written notes from that, that session. I can't really remember much from that session, but one of the things that I wrote, which I do remember her saying this is about me. She said, you are here for profound reasons. I don't know what that means. That's I'm just quoting what she told me in that psychic session. And that psychic session was highly charged. Oh, and then I, I ended up meeting Stacy after this. I went to a conference that Whitley Strieber gave where owls, I saw a bunch of owls at this conference in Joshua Tree, California. He, he did a two-day conference. I was drove from Idaho where I was living at the time down to California Joshua Tree is three hours from LA or something like that, four hours from LA. So I figured, well, I'll just drive to LA and I'll, I'll you know, meet this woman. And it kind of had the like the uh, you know the weight of a first date and stuff. As soon as we met each other, I, that just evaporated. Didn't feel like that at all. So she has a son. Her son is nine years old. We're like sitting on the floor. I'm playing go fish with her son, um, and the son keeps calling me John. And and the this goes on and on. He calls me John. She, she said, no, no, this isn't John. This is Mike. And afterwards, I basically said to her, like, listen, like this had the flavor of a first date. It didn't feel like that at all. 
I mean, I, I was like stepping into this, like when I called you up and said, I'm coming to LA, like, um, but there's some connection here and I'm, I'm going to play detective and see what I can like. She's like, great. So I walk out. It's Hollywood. Like I'm from Idaho, right? I mean, it's like, you know, like I'm in Hollywood. It, it looked like every episode of TJ Hooker. I mean, it looked was, you know, it just had that California, like, just like, you know, that's like almost seeped into every American's dream realm, you know, like this, like, it's like every street is like, oh my God, this is like, I've seen the street on, you know, this is where, this is from Emergency, the old TV show Emergency. Um, so I said, if this was a Hollywood movie, you know what that felt like? I would be the gay next door neighbor. They would cast me as the gay next door neighbor. And that scene would be the gay next door neighbor who comes over once a week and has dinner with Stacy and her son. And I sent her that the next morning. I sent her an email. I said, you know what that felt like last night? I felt like I was the gay next door neighbor in a, in a Hollywood movie. And she went, LOL, that's John. So she did have a gay next door neighbor <laughs> that came over every week. Huh. And, and that was John. Yeah. So the boy was, so anyway, I did a, this is so, this is, I mean, I'm, this stuff gets so weird. And now I'm going way out on a limb to try to explain this. I made a podcast where I described the events of October of 2009. It begins with the story of the third, where I meet Stacy. <clears throat> it ends on the 31st, Halloween, where I meet the psychic named Anya Briggs. And then I, I did a, podcast where I tried to, I just sat alone with the microphone and tried to explain all this stuff. It went on for almost two hours. I interviewed Stacy, Marla, and Anya and had them talk because I had a long conversation with this woman, Anya. Anya did a psychic session with me that was so funny. She's sort of goofy. And she said, you know, it's like, what's the connection between me and Stacy? Said, you and Stacy were brother, she, without skipping a beat, you and Stacy were brother and sister in a past life and you lived in Paris and you were gay, talking to me, you were gay and Stacy was your sort of escort and you were, she was your sister and she would go to parties and be the, you were the, you know, the toast of the town. And I was like, as stupid as that sounds, that's sort of what it felt like when I met her. Like that was like the, and, and where, and, so I recorded the podcast. I've never actually told this in a, in a, in an interview, but so I recorded the podcast, right? So you have a counter on your, your editing thing and it counts up from one side and it counts down from the other. So at 12 minutes and 45 seconds on one end, one, two, three, four, the synchronistic number that I pay attention to, maybe I'm crazy, but I'm obsessed about this stuff. The synchronistic number I pay attention to one, two, three, four shows up at the one end of the podcast. That's where I tell the story I just told you now, where like that where I said, LOL, that's John, right at one, two, three, four. It's also counts down at the other end. So it's subtracting. The number is getting smaller at the other end as the little as the little uh, the the thing goes across the time counter. At that point, at the end, 12 minutes left of the the interview of the podcast, I'm interviewing Stacy. And One, two, three, four, counting down, it lines up exactly with me, with her saying, uh, the, her, her um, remembering the, the email where she said, LOL, that's John. It lined up exactly at one, two, three, four at the beginning and at one, two, three, four at the end. What's the weirdest thing is I looked for it. I like said, I got to figure out what's at one, two, three, four. I didn't do it on purpose. It is ever so slightly out of sync now. One person involved, one of the three people said there was like 
one sentence. They said, can you remove that sentence? It's a little too personal. And I did. So it just throws it off by about a second now. But that's what it, that, I, in a way, that story is hard to tell, right? Because it's so complex. It's got so many, it just goes everywhere. It goes all over the map. And that was the point of this book, was to tell these stories in their completeness, to really allow the space to put all the goofy details in. If, if the counter is like that on this show, I'm going to freak out. Uh, dude, I don't know what to say. Yeah. How do we, we're past 1234, yeah. You can't, you gotta, you gotta you jinx it if you go in trying to second guess it before oh, that's you... that's true, you, that's true. So, yeah, it, so it won't happen. I don't know. Who knows what'll happen? I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, the, you'll... One final question. And this this really intrigued me. And I kind of wanted to... I don't think we got to talk about this in when I had you on about the first book. But just the amount of people that have these experiences, that have a, ver- a variety of the name Christopher or Kristen or Christian. Yeah. Oh, that? You want me to address that? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, when I figured that out, I figured that out when my, I had an owl story that I put in a blog blog post and it took place where i saw six owls i told the story at the beginning the three owls and then later three other owls the um i did tell that story at the beginning didn't i mm-hmm. yeah yes. okay good, good, mm-hmm. good sorry it's just funny i've done a bunch i did a i did a interview the other day and i'm like oh which which interview am i on right now so uh <laughs> it's i've it's it's funny you promote a book like this and it's that's the way you have to promote it is that's i've it's been it's wonderful fun to do these interviews so i'm i'm not but uh, I had an experience that I put in a blog post where I had seen these owls with a woman named Kristen. She had an experience where she saw these owls with a man named Christian. That's, t- that's little, but this name shows up over and over and over. I, there's, there's a woman named Christina Knowles. She's a UFO researcher. There's an author named Christopher Knowles. He's a, wouldn't call him a UFO researcher, but he's definitely doing sort of esoteric research. He's right at the forefront of the synchromistic stuff. Uh, he has, runs a blog called The Secret Sun. I contacted Christina Knowles and I said, do you have any people who've seen owls? And she said, oh yeah. It's one of the questions I asked. Do you have any owl experiences? Like, really? You ask that? Like no other UFO researcher asked that. Yeah, it's because I see it as a pattern. So she sent me a bunch of people, a handful of people that had these owl experiences. And I, you know, so I interviewed them and a couple of those make it into the first book. Christina Knowles, Christopher Knowles, they have owl in their last name. Christopher Knowles has mother collected owls obsessively. I don't know how to separate. So I'm like, I'm obviously like the crazy guy in the, you know, like sitting under the bridge, like, you know, counting out numbers on, you know, and and tracing out like little mathematical equations on a cardboard box. I've sort of (laughs) turned into that person where I'm seeing it everywhere. But at the same point, when I pull on these threads, they're fruitful. Christopher, Christian, Christina, all of these names have the word Christ in the first four letters or first five letters. There is no other word in the in Western culture more highly charged with mythic resonance than the word Christ. In the second story, I have a woman named Kristen, spelled differently than than the than the uh, Kristen that uh, I went camping with. That that used to go into the desert and camp. 
she would meditate. She said it was meditation for me. I would go into the desert, do long 10-day trips into the desert alone. And I'm like, this is, that's like straight out of the Bible. You know, Christ went into the desert to meditate, to find himself, to talk with God. Or his father, I guess, is the way he put it there. Or then he met the devil too, I guess, in one of those trips. But uh, so I I am at the point now, this and in the in the culmination of the second book, which I was actually a little reticent to to, to even address, but it was it emerged. There's uh, Christian imagery. That's the way I put it. Christian imagery is welling up in this book all over the place, just beyond the names Chris. That's easy. That's a, It's showing up other places too. A lot of the people, some of the people were devout Christians in the stories and that they, and they, they sort of framed some things. They would say, listen, I prayed to God. One guy in the, in the chapter 17, I prayed to God. He was deer hunting. I prayed to have a quick, clean kill. He has a deer hunting experience that is the most beautiful story I think I've ever had the honor to, to, it's someone else's story. It's not my story, but it's the most beautiful story I've ever had the honor to transcribe his deer hunting experience that begins with him saying a prayer to God. Now, I, I had to include all that stuff, you know, and, and, and note it and sort of, so my sense is it's less, it's less Christianity welling up. But my sense is this is, we are in, we're, we live in a Western society. This is the, this is the mythology that forms the, the foundation of, of Western man. You know, I mean, there's a church at every corner in most towns, right? So, but we don't really, it depends on where you are and who you're, you know, you're, I would say that the majority of Americans don't don't it's not the it's not the you know a lot of people aren't church going but it is the mythology in it and i'm other some people may, may I'm, I'm trying to make sure i say this in a way that's not offensive at the same time i want to get my point across we are we are it is the foundation of of our culture in many ways and so my sense is that's the mythology, that's the mythological stuff that wants to well up and make itself known and make itself and get your attention. It's, symb- it's symbolic imagery is here making its intention, right? So I'm not seeing, um, you know, so the owl, in my opinion, is a, is a symbol. And so is this Christian imagery. So that, I have no idea why the, the names Christian, Christopher, Kristen, Christina show up with such a heightened it's 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 more than just random in my opinion and that's difficult to prove I'm just going anecdotally um so I yes you asked a question I don't have an answer what I can say is boy you pull on that threads it does not get more highly charged than than that name yeah absolutely totally get it totally get it yeah it, it, it's interesting too you talk about um, the the Western mythology, and it seems that the phenomenon is reflecting that. Uh, yeah, do is, people in in the Middle East, you know, see Allah, or do people in in India see Ganesh? You know, I this is right. I don't have an answer to that, but I mean, I would I would assume that it would it would tailor itself to to the to the to the observer. 
Well, Mike, this has been very enlightening, man. And I think that we could talk for like five hours about this. <laughs> that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, that's. I mean, I'm just barely scratching the surface, and that's the problem. I'm reading the book aloud. I said that earlier, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, man, it's just when you go word for word and have to speak every sentence clearly, it's like, I'm like, holy crap, this is a dense book. There's, there's a lot. This. Like, I'm really like, I'm kind of even... It's a, it's a way to focus on it that I, that you simply don't focus when you're when you're writing it. Reading it aloud was has been really like there's a lot going on in this second book. I had a whole list of stuff that I sent you earlier, and I, saw I, don't, I don't think I said, we oh, covered God, everything. <laughs> there's no way. Oh no, I don't I think we could. Like oh my god, the, the the show will be eleven hours long if we tried to do that. <laughs> so if, I'm happy to talk about any of it, but it would be yeah, it's a that's a that's a dense book, and that's a problem. Like to tell. Like, oh, just tell the Stacy and Marla story. Like, oh my God, dude. Like, there's like a there's so many, like the threads go everywhere. And there's a lot yeah. more in the written book than what I what I, you know, paraphrased here verbally. Well, if people want to hear more of these stories, read them. Where can they get the book? They can get the book. They can go to my website, which is uh hiddenexperience.blogspot.com. You can also uh, go to mikecleland.com, which just basically takes you to another link to the other site. You can also Google Owls UFOs, and my name will come right up at the top of the list. Yep, and you I, are the I guy. Mean, no, you have no problem <laughs> finding you. But I'm, and that's like people like that's how people are finding me on on my website. I have a little thing at the top that says, you know, I want to hear your owl stories, and I'm so if anyone in the world has a weird experience with a UFO and an owl, I am like. Two mouse clicks away, and they're they're right into my email inbox. Yeah, this this has intrigued me um, since you. I first heard you on the Grayling Report, God, probably like twenty twelve or twenty thirteen, talking about this. And ever since, I have followed your work, and I have to tell you, I mean, it is it is some really profound and important stuff what you're doing. Well, thank you, and it's been you know it's it's so I'll. Like, I didn't pick owls. Owls picked me. And right on the cover of this book, it says, Owls, accounts of owls, UFOs, and a deeper reality. That's the core of it, is the deeper reality. You know, the, the, you know, the owls and the UFOs are just signposts, and they're pointing to something. They're a little sign with an arrow, and those are both pointing to some deeper reality. So that's, that's at the core of the mystery, not the owls and the UFOs. That's, that's just window dressing. It's the deeper reality that's behind it. That's much, much more intriguing to me. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Oh, was, good. I'm glad this was a delight. Was there any other questions that you guys might have or? No, I think we pretty much covered it. That was, that was yeah. very, very fascinating. Well, stay on the line for us, Mike. We're going to close this section out and guys, we'll be back on Conspiracy Normal. Are you starting? Uh, I, th- you starting? I don't know. I, I, I thought you were going to start. Gonna, okay, okay, okay. I'll start. <laughs> well, actually, Rob has an owl story that he was he was. <laughs> well, I us. wasn't going to tell it because it just seems too like um. It's synchronistic, man. It's what. Well, I I will. Yeah, I got home last night after practice. It was like midnight, and I, and I laid down and I heard. Um, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. I heard like hooting, like owl, like noises outside. I didn't even think. I didn't even realize that we had Mike coming on today. I'd forgotten about that. See. And then on the 
drive back home or drive here today, I stopped at a gas station and they had this giant display for white owl cigars at the gas station. Uh-huh. And we got here and we had Mike on and it's just it's, it's going to continue, things. man. It's going to roll. Uh-oh. Right, but it's got to be pointing towards something. It can't just be owls for the sake of owls. Yeah. So Alyssa's going to bring home an owl figurine. Probably. Like, oh, look at our this. House is, our house is full of owls. Oh, that's true, yeah. She loves them. There's there's actually a, crow, a little crow, too, or like a raven that she has in there. In our house? Yeah, a little like raven with a little suit on that's on the counter. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> creepy mildly racist decanter <laughs> yeah, decanter <laughs> that's a good word well what you guys think about that that was that was a really good show yeah that. i like mike yeah there's just there's there's so much in the book so much in both books that we really couldn't do it as much justice and there's and there's so much of those stories too and yeah, I highly recommend it, guys. Uh, you get get a copy of both. You know, the messengers is like four hundred something pages, and this one is like two hundred fifty something pages. And it's just uh, the messengers is probably one of the best kind of UFO themed books that I've read in a long, long time. That's cool. I really want to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. In tribute to Art Bell, we are going to play the Area 51 call. And I kind of want to, Serfiel, get your thoughts on this. Because this is a very, Uh, this is controversial. I think this is like one of the greatest, this is the greatest moment in radio history besides (laughs) War of the Worlds probably to me. Yeah, that's true. Very true. I got Got it queued up here. Hopefully it starts. I think there's a little bit of silence. It says, you be the judge whether this is true or not. And, of course, it doesn't start. Oh, there we go. You be the judge. Online, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Yes. Hi. Um, I, 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 I don't have a whole lot of uh, time um, well, look, let's begin yeah. by finding out whether you're using this line properly or not. Uh, Area 51. Yeah, um, that's right. Were you an employee or are you now? Uh, I, a former employee. Former um, employee. I, I, I was let go on a medical discharge about a week ago, and and <laughs> I, I've kind of been running a, across the country. Um, oh, man, I don't know where to start. They're, uh, they're, they're going to... Um, they'll triangulate on this position really, really soon. Well, um, you can't spend a lot of time on the phone, so give us something quick. Okay. Um, um, okay, what, what we're thinking of as, as aliens are, they're, uh, they're, they're extra-dimensional beings that an earlier precursor of the um, space program made contact with. Uh, they they are not what they claim to be. Uh, they have infiltrated a lot of uh, uh, a lot of aspects of, of of the military establishment, particularly the Area 51. Uh, the, the disasters that are coming, they the, the military. Uh, 
I'm sorry, the, the government knows about them. And there's a lot of safe areas in this world that they could begin moving the population to now, Art. But they're not doing, they're not doing anything. They are not. They want the major population centers wiped out so that the, the few that are left will be more easily controllable. Discharge. <laughs> and they lost the transmission. I, I started getting... Transmission lost. Well, then supposedly his whole upload signal went down. Right, right. Yeah. That was the thing. And it, and it comes back with him talking about uh, someone asking him whether that was real or not. So that's the question. Was it real? So the radio show lost their transmission? He claims, yeah. Our, our yeah. Bell claims he both was losing his signal and then his whole uplink to the satellite. What year was this? 1997? I'm not sure. Am I right? <laughs> but, you know, he had his own... He he had, like, his own little compound out in the desert and his own Corrupt satellite Nevada. that he... Uh, that he used to, to uplink his sing- signal. Because I can see... Um, I mean, Area 51 was kind of a touchy subject at the time. They hadn't come out in the mid-90s yet. You know, it hadn't been declassified. It was still, like, in denial that it was, like, even a thing. So I, I can see that, whether or not the story is true, him, his signal being, like, shut down while they investigated it kind of thing. But I don't know. That's He could be a really good actor. I mean. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that, the possibility that art would set these things up too. I could see that. Yeah. You know, he's a showman at the end of the day. Yeah. He had the kind of like that theater of the mind. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of idea in his show. Cause he did other things, uh, such as there was another caller that said that he was, Flying over yeah, Area 51 on a plane, <laughs> in, a, in like some kind of Cessna or something. Yeah. And then like he said, I'm right over it or something. And then he was never heard from again or something like that. And there was the whole Mel's hole. That stuff was too. awesome. That stuff was awesome. Do you think, do you think that might've been fabricated? I, I don't know. It's hard to tell. That it's hard to tell. Was amazing. Do you remember that Rob? No. These are all call-ins? Yeah. 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 Mel was this guy who called in uh, originally just telling him about this this big hole he had on his property that people have been, like, dumping trash into for years. <laughs> and uh, I guess animals got really weird about it, but they, like, lowered stuff down into it, couldn't find a bottom. They'd, like, throw a refrigerator down it, and it never hear it crash at the bottom. And then supposedly, like, the some kind of weird government people came in and, like, took over his property. And then he, like, called Art Bell while he was, like, on the run. And, like, it was over a few shows. Like, it was pretty rad. <laughs> there was also something about, I don't know if this is Art Bell or not, where this guy said that he had shot an alien and was keeping it in the freezer. And I think <laughs> that he would call, yeah, he would call in to Art Bell and talk about it as well. 
So there was all this kind of just, you know, this, this, I think he kept people guessing yeah. kind of like the war of the worlds, like you mentioned where, you know, is it real or is it not? Right. Well, and John Teeter falls into that oh, area too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, my question, I guess is if, if these are all just call-ins, just listeners and stuff, um, do you think he was in on any of it, or do you think that, you know, like our show, we get, uh, you know, I say a small percentage of guests that have kind of an out there story that we're just here facilitating, whether or not we listen, we believe in it or not, you know, but we don't, we don't, uh, we don't fabricate any of it. Do you think he was? Well, in that case, unless he really unless he pulled the plug himself on the transmission that and was cool. in on it with the guy so that it just seemed like, Oh, this was really going to get people to really get people to listen. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you know, if that was 97, that was 13 or 14 years after he started the show, he was pretty well established. Well, he yeah. knows people would love it though. Yeah. Right. Uh, but then sure. at the same time, it's like there, I don't think there's been anything like that where, that was this just hub that attracted all the crazies to call uh-huh. Heart Bell. I mean, that was, I can't think of anything else. I mean, I guess they still call Coast to Coast, but um, during that time, I mean, that was like, you know, every, he had the Antichrist line. He had like <laughs> uh-huh. all that stuff. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So he definitely, I think he had a very showman like aspect yeah, yeah, uh, to that. him as well. So and definitely the is it is it fake or is it not just keeps people keeps people guessing even to this day. So there is a very genius kind of quality to it. But yeah, it could have just been a random person. You know, just uh, this kind of like silent army that was out there that would call Art Bell just to see what we could we could get <laughs> away with. Or even that guy, I mean he either sounded terrified or maybe schizophrenic. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting that they keyed in on what they what they keyed in on there that they're extra dimensional beings. That's the one line that always stands out to me from that recording. That yeah, they're, they're not what you think they are. Or right? They're not what they what I forgot. How to they're not it. what you think they are. Yeah, that's what they said. Or they're they're not what they. And also mixed in with that too was this whole idea about disasters, and yeah. there's a lot of talk about that. At the time, he said a precursor to the space program initially made contact with him. Yeah. So who was the? What was that? Was that the the Nazis or something? Or you know who knows? (laughs) But all that mythology has kind of gotten continued on, and of course they were all into the whole like alien bases and all that as well. So, so I think we'll call it there, guys. Um, Rob, tell everybody where they can. get our patreon and we do have a patreon episode up that we did with lauren coleman oh yeah you posted that it is posted all right yeah there's a new episode up there uh, at patreon.com slash conspiranormal we've got about a dozen bonus episodes up there now um various other goodies you can subscribe help support the show wallpaper uh, wallpapers featuring luke some of them if you miss him um, <laughs> he has his fans. <laughs> I think he's cryptozoological by now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you don't want to subscribe to anything monthly, um, you can make a one-time donation on our website. 
And if you don't want to contribute money, but you still want to support the show, you can always do that with a good five-star rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen. We really appreciate those. And the next guest we have is actually a skeptic. So I'm actually looking forward to this one, picking this guy's brain. I heard him on the Project Archivist podcast. So I immediately kind of got in touch with him and going to have him on. So thank you very much, guys. And uh, Sergio, thank you for being here. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. More synchro mysticism. I'm sure we'll we'll be spoken about. And join us next time on Conspiranormal. R.I.P. Art Bell. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.